Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Serena. And I'm Natasha. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're finishing our self-help series with an ensemble rom-com based on a dating and relationship self-help book. We'll talk about a great cast and crew, including Team Story, Kevin Hart, and Regina Hall. And we'll give our opinions on some of Steve Harvey's relationship advice as we discuss the 2012 movie based on his popular self-help book, Think Like a Man. Hello. Hello, Serena. Hello, Natasha. Hi. Hello. So I'm really excited today to introduce everybody to Natasha Alva. She is a Rotten Tomatoes approved film critic. She is a film editor at Cultured Vultures. She's a book lover and she's an English literature teacher. So you have just a ton going on, Natasha. I'm really thankful to you for coming on to our show today and talking with us. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me, you know. Um, I, I think it's a no-brainer that I would come on this show because I love rom-coms. I think they are my bias. So I think <laughs> out of all the genres, right? I mean, I, I have to say I love all genres equally, but I definitely have a bias for rom-coms. Yeah. That, I always like hearing that when people come on the show, to be honest. And it's yeah, and sadly, it's usually the women always who are the ones who love rom-coms. Well, occasionally, we get a guy too, but um, yeah, I love that. And usually, I, I save this question for like kind of the end of when I ask guest questions. But since you already brought it up, you love rom-coms. What are some of like your favorite rom-coms? I like the Richard Curtis rom-coms. Sure. So movies like Four Weddings and a Funeral uh, and About Time. Those are my like one some of my favorites, and of course. Um, when Harry Met Sally, uh, yeah. Sleepless in Seattle, uh, While You Were Sleeping. Yeah. So, so the yeah. classics, it sounds like the, the classic rom-com, sort of modern classic canon, I guess you would say. Yeah. If I had to like talk about the recent one, I think uh, recent ones, I would say Plus One and okay. Someone Great. Yeah, cool. So when did when did you get into movies themselves? Are you like me? Are you a person who always was interested in movies or did it come later in life? I grew up in a household where, you know, every weekend we were putting on a movie, you know, um, we went to the cinema a lot, right? Usually, you know, we would um, splurge on like double features. So movies were part of my life growing up, but I never really like took them seriously, I guess. Like, um in the sense that, oh, you know, like, I have to watch this movie, I have to, like, uh, you know, like, oh, there's a canon, right? There's, uh, like, all, you know, the great directors, I have to go and, like, watch all these films. So I've never, like, um, looked at movies that way. I think I was always more of a book person. Mm -hmm. So I grew up, like, really loving books and, like, you know, making sure that I read, like, all the classics, like, the canon, you know, and then I I became a, I was a lit major. So I 
I grew up, I think, preferring books and, you know, movies were something I just watched. But uh, I think this changed when I got older and I think I was able to kind of appreciate more of like the filmmaking aspect of movies. And then that's when I kind of got more into it. When And then when did you become um, a film critic? When did that start? Oh, <laughs> uh, from boredom, I guess. It was when I think I was about, I had been in teaching for about six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was spending all my time just teaching, just like focused on my job, you know. And yeah. it came to a point where I wasn't reading, I wasn't really doing anything for myself and I think I felt quite miserable because basically I think it's just like my job just became my life. I had always loved writing so basically I decided okay I'm just gonna start writing again just for fun just for myself. So I just started like a a lame movie blog (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which just sounds like so um, 2000s but um, basically that's what I did and I just started like blogging about movies that I watched. That's how I got connected to um, some people who were blogging. I met this guy Nick. He he runs this site called Movie Babble. So that's how then so I just started writing for Movie Babble and they had a bigger audience. So more people were like reading my stuff. And yeah. it was quite gratifying and you know the response was good. So I, I felt like oh, okay, you know, um I'm gaining something from this, I guess. And after that, I wrote for um, a few more sites, like Critical Movie Critics. And then that's when, how I stumbled onto Cultured Vouchers. And yeah, when I when I joined Cultured Vouchers, I actually joined for, because um, I submitted a short story. So I actually didn't join because of movies. Like oh, I just submitted okay. like a short story and uh, they, they got back to me and they were like, oh, we would love to publish your short story, you know. And then that's how I got into the community. And when this role became available, when the film editor role became available, I asked uh, the editor-in-chief, you know, can I apply for this, you know? Um, yeah, and then he, he was like, yeah, and he trained me. And after I did it for a few years, uh, I applied to Rotten Tomatoes. And then, yeah, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> wow, yeah. 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 Like, I... That is that is quite a cool story. It's just like you started something on your own and gradually people sort of discovered it. So yeah, I love it. I, and it was just for you. And that's, I think, sometimes the way the best projects actually start. And yeah, so Cultured Vultures, how long have you been with them at this point? I started there in November 2018. Okay, so that cool. would be like about four-ish years, five. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen quite a bit of the the writing work you do for them. Um, I recently I saw that you wrote an article on the Before trilogy, and that's close to my heart as well. Um, what are like? Do you often write about just the romantic comedies, or do you write about the whole range of film? Okay, so Cultured Vouchers is known mainly for um, the gaming section. Oh, okay. So okay. yeah, so they they are, they are, it's quite um, a focus area for the site because of the what the site is focused on we tend to write more pieces i think on like horror more so than romance i think i'm the only one who really <laughs> writes the romance pieces 
So I I write um on all the genres, and sometimes um my editor in chief will let me write my romance stuff, and I'll write it, and you know um sometimes it picks up, sometimes it doesn't. Well, I, I I tell you what, I hope that people in our audience will go over and check out your pieces on cultured vultures and give the romance articles more audience. That is my hope. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hope for that too. So then I can um continue to <laughs> pester him and you know get um write more about um romantic films. Definitely. So just really quickly, um, you're coming to us. Um, we're recording with you. You're in Singapore right now, and you told me um, you're from Singapore. You've been there your whole life. I'm interested um, to know, like, what is the cinema culture like there? Um, do you have a lot of movie theaters? Is are people really into the movies there? Like, what, like any impressions you have of it would be interesting to me. We have like, um, I guess chains, like cinema chains. So we have, uh, I think, three major chains in Singapore. So there's like Golden Village, Shaw, and Cathay um, Cinema. So I mean, it's basically like, I guess, your AMC. They screen a lot of the big releases. So the thing mm-hmm. about it is, is that it's interesting that Singapore actually gets like the big. Uh, you know the, the tentpole kind of releases, right? We yeah. actually get it first, like before you guys in the states. Oh yeah, like in Korea, that was the same way, actually. Yes, yeah. yes. So I don't know. I think maybe it's the, the Asian market or something, but it releases like a, just a few days, I think, before uh, you know, America. So uh, you know, if it's like Ant Man or yeah. you know, anything <laughs> from the MCU, we would get it first. I think even things like maybe John Wick. We would yeah. get it first, yeah. So the really big movies, uh, it would release, you know, a much earlier, not much earlier, I guess, about a day or two, uh, in Singapore. Uh, the smaller films are the problem. So I don't get to watch a lot of like indie stuff because okay. um sometimes we don't, it doesn't get distributed here. There is a indie cinema here called the Projector, um, and so they will get like you know the 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 indie releases, right? So the more independent film um, stuff. But the thing about it is, is that they don't get it immediately upon release. So they get it like a while later. Sure. So by then, it's like people have forgotten about <laughs> it. So I guess it's like if I really want to watch the film, right? You know, like for example, um, After Sun. Yeah. Right? Uh, it only came out in the projector so you know it's not in like the regular mainstream cinema yeah so that's the cinema culture here we do have a singapore film festival very nice um yeah where they screen um you know selected films but it's mainly localized i would say mainly to like the asian markets like we Mm -hmm. don't get a lot of like international um stuff at this film festival since Singapore has so many cultures, do you see a lot of international films coming through Singapore as well? Well, for us, international, like for from the U.S. perspective, sorry, just like uh, from, var- from varied cultures that make up Singapore, do you see like that mix? Yeah, yeah, we get um, tons of uh, other uh, films from other countries, other cultures. So we get like Thai films. Uh, Korean films definitely. There's a huge market for that. Uh, lots of Chinese films as well. The Bollywood and the Tollywood uh spaces are also quite thriving here. So we get a lot of those releases uh yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's actually quite um yeah quite diverse and quite mixed. 
So yeah, so it's quite. I mean, it's it's kind of it's quite nice <laughs> to yeah. uh, live here, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely interesting, and yeah. So, um, one more one more question just related to our podcast today. So, uh, so this is our last in our series of movies based on self help books. I'm wondering, like, do you like the self help genre, and do you have any favorites, like whether videos or books that you would follow from that genre? <laughs> oh man. Okay, so. <laughs> I think the the closest I've come to like self help books are like the chicken soup books. I think. Oh yeah. Okay. Self help. Yeah, I don't really read nonfiction. I think mainly because I think real life is hard enough, and uh, <laughs> if I want to escape into a book, I generally will read something that's fictional. I have read. Uh, he's just not that into you. Okay. So cool. I guess that's. The- <laughs> <laughs> that's the closest I will get. I think I read it because I was trying to figure out men or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it was at <laughs> it was a at an interesting point in my life. So I think um yeah, I don't think it helped me much, but uh it was it was interesting and I watched the movie, so <laughs> yeah. Oh, too bad too bad we didn't have you on the last episode, but we were pretty full <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've read the book for this week, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. I don't know if either of you have read that one. Um, no? I read it when it first came oh. out. I, re- oh. I remember okay. I remember the push for it. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so we'll get into that a little bit later then. <laughs> I have to say, I didn't know it was a real book. I thought it was like something created for the film. Oh, okay. I well, had I thought like, oh, Steve Harvey's doing a bit, <laughs> you know. I I was just like, oh, that's cool. It's a cool premise. Uh, and I think it was only when I was um prepping for this podcast with you guys that I discovered that it's a book. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's wow. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm glad that like this podcast will potentially like uh, let other people know as well. I guess we're marketing Steve Harvey's book for him. So there you go. <laughs> So Natasha, like, I want to make sure that people can find your work. Like, uh, where would you like to send people to like, check out your writing, um, check out maybe other podcasts you've been on, like, just anywhere you'd like to send people. You guys can find me on culturedvouchers.com. So uh, like I mentioned, I'm the film editor there. So we do lots of fun things. Uh, So if you're just not just interested in film, right, you can... um, find stuff about games, wrestling, TV, books. Yeah, so you can find my film stuff there. So I do a lot of uh, reviews, but also I write like uh, ops pieces and, you know, I do deep dives and listicles as well. So it's a fun time there. If you want to hear, I guess, my ravings or my thoughts from time to time, uh, I'm on Twitter at LitMySoul. Spelled, I guess, the traditional way, L-I-T-M-Y-S-O-U-L. And you can also catch me on Hallmarkies podcast. So I'm a frequent um, appearance person on that podcast. Yeah, so um, I guess those are the places you can go if you want to find me. And yeah. Well, I recommend it. I definitely recommend finding you, finding your work. And I will put links to all about those things in the show notes also. So people, while when you're finished listening, you can also check out our show notes and find Natasha and follow her to her work. And make sure that Cultured Vultures has plenty of romantic content on its website in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it will get so many views. That's what I want. That's my hope for you. Okay. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> 
So before we get started today, a few notes. First, as usual, there will be a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we will warn you when the spoilers are about to start. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and I've got one more special update today. We now have a Buy Me a Coffee page for the podcast where you can donate money to help us keep the podcast up and running. So we are an ad-free podcast, and I would like to keep it that way. So if you enjoy our work and you're able, please consider sending us a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash everyromcom. We'll put a link to that page in the show notes, and just thank you in advance to anyone who's willing to show us some support. Okay, and now let's listen to part of the trailer for today's movie, Think Like a Man. This spring... Baby, I got his lattes. I'll be right back. I'll be right here. Ugh, you were an animal last night. So, babe, I was thinking we could go on our first real date. Yeah, babe, we should do that. Oh, yes. No, he didn't. He took my coffee. Guys, happy Valentine's Day, sweetie. And you too, Mom. <laughs> I'm just going to leave you two alone. I'll call you. Or not. We'll be guys. Sally Slam. Go park some cars. Whoa, she's so sweet to the eyes. She walk right by with her nose in the sky. That's my car. She don't even know who I am. Okay, where's the window? The dark night strikes again. But women have had enough. What is the problem with men of this generation? Ladies, do you understand the mindset of a man? You are never going to win in the game of love. Act like a lady, but think like a man. Now one book is changing the game. What are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? What are your views on relationships? Who are you, Oprah? I could use a nightcap. She has this five-date rule before I get invited up. We like friends without benefits. She thinks I'm a chef on the rise. She's going to run when I tell her the truth. I'm totally screwed. Mom, what is this? It's the new read for my book club. Family feud, Steve Harvey? You doing something to bust like that? This man is a traitor. They know all of our maneuvers. This is war, gentlemen. We used his words to get what we want. Hey, Mike, how old is your mom? What? I'm not saying it like that. I am. I am. It's like that. Miss Loretta, I'm ready for the rest of the tour. Oh, man. Sorry. That part with Kevin Hart gets me. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I never think to watch Kevin Hart movies. But then whenever I do watch them, I'm like, oh, he's really fucking funny. Like, yeah. (laughs) He is. He is. He is. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, like, some basic information about Think Like a Man. It was released April 20th, 2012. It was directed by Tim Story. It was written by Keith Merriman and David A. Newman based on the book by Steve Harvey, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. And it has a huge cast. So this is not everybody important in the movie, but the main stars are Kevin Hart, Terrence Jenkins, who's also sometimes known as Terrence J., Regina Hall, Taraji P. Henson, Michael Ely, Gabrielle Union, Jerry Ferrara, Megan Good, Romani Malco, Gary Owen, and Jennifer Lewis. Woof, we got a big cast for this. But I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, Michael Ely deserves a special shout out. <laughs> oh, for, for for his acting or for how hot he is? Like, which one? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment. 
So the basic premise um, for Think Like a Man, so we're following a group of friends, both single and in couples, who each face relationship challenges. Uh, after the women in the group read the Steve Harvey self-help book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man, they begin to make changes in their relationships. But what will happen when the men discover their new playbook? Okay, so there weren't a ton of facts I was able to find about this movie, which is kind of a shame, but I did my best to dig some things up. So first of all, Think Like a Man, again, was based on the 2009 Steve Harvey book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. That book was a huge success. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for 64 weeks, and 23 of those weeks, it was at number one. And by this point in time, when this movie was being made, He's Just Not That Into You, another movie based on a self-help book, had already grossed $178 million worldwide. So making the Harvey book into a movie probably seemed like a no-brainer. And if you want to know more about He's Just Not That Into You, you can check out every rom-com episode 56 on He's Just Not That Into You. Speaking of other movies we've covered in the self-help series... A few of the other movies, Yes Man and He's Just Not That Into You, had authors who made minor cameo appearances on the movies based on their book. But unlike those other films, in this movie, author Steve Harvey plays a very prominent role. He keeps showing up as like a talking head delivering advice from the book. And he was also an executive producer on the movie. And by the way, Steve Harvey's um, talking head appearances in this movie, they like cracked my husband Lee up. He was just like, <laughs> he thought it was so smarmy, but kind of fun at the same time. <laughs> yeah. He, he, no he noted that his collar was kind of popped and he, you know, wasn't like buttoned all the way and he was just looking all smooth or something. <laughs> I think it helps that Steve Harvey is a performer. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think generally, I mean, I don't know, speaking as a writer, I think I'm such an awkward duck. <laughs> so I think like, you know, I think uh, other writers are like, yeah, a fun cameo, you know, is yeah. good enough. But Steve Harvey is a performer. He's entertaining. So yeah, I can understand why they would build like the film around him. Yeah. And I guess it was convincing enough to you that you're like, oh, this is just like a con conceit that he's he's written this book. Like, yeah. So that's interesting. I like that. So apparently there was a lot of ad-libbing in this movie. Director Tim Story told DGA Magazine, quote, I knew I had an all-star team when it came to ad-libbing, but I had to focus on rehearsing with the couples, saying, here's what I think your story is. I've learned to make sure that when you sit down to do a movie with an actor, you have to be telling the same story. If the actors are doing that, then you can let them go. And if they go too far, you can bring them back, end quote. So, yeah, I wish I knew which parts kind of were improv and which weren't. But, um, yeah, either way. Another interesting fact, there are a few scenes in the movie where the group of men, the main actors, play basketball against a much taller team. And the much taller team is actually real professional basketball players making cameo appearances. Like, I'm not a basketball fan, so these names don't mean much to me. But they had Matt Barnes, Shannon Brown, Rasul Butler... Darren Collison, Meta World Peace, and Lisa Leslie show up in cameo roles. So if you follow basketball, maybe those are kind of interesting people for you to see in the movie. The movie also features singer Chris Brown, who of course is um, pretty out of favor with most people, but he's in a pretty small role. Um, and talk show host and television and radio personality Wendy Williams also appears in the movie. So Think Like a Man was shot in Los Angeles and Culver City in Los Angeles County. And it had a budget of only $12 million, 
like with all these fantastic actors, like still only $12 million, but it ended up grossing $96 million. And the movie then had a sequel, 2014's Think Like a Man 2, T-O-O. So yeah, that's that's the what I gathered about this film. So now it's time for us to give like our general non-spoilery opinion of the film. So when did you first see this film? What was its impression on you at the time? Have you watched it a lot over the years? And what do you think of it now? I think this was my first time like actually sitting down and like watching it all the way through. I think I had watched it before as kind of like background noise, you know, when I was cooking or something and hadn't really like focused, focused on what was going on. But I this time around, I really thought that the relationships that they showed in the movie were very well done. Hmm. I was like, oh, yes, that feels very like real to life, even though there was a lot of comedy involved and, the, you know, there's some slapsticky stuff going on. But I I felt like it was a good portrayal of some like real life scenarios. Yeah, cool. And so like this is basically your first time just like really experiencing the film then. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I would say so. And Natasha, how about yourself? Okay. <laughs> so as you may have gathered, I had a Michael Ely face. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I um he was in this movie called Their Eyes Were Watching God. Okay. So it's based on um, you know, um Azora Neil Hurston book, and I adored that book. There was one adaptation with Haley Berry and Michael Ely. So that's how I discovered him. And then I was like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) I have to watch everything that this man has been in. Yeah, so that's how I stumbled upon this film. I think I was quite like, I was young at the time. So I think I didn't watch it very seriously. (laughs) I think I was just watching for um, enjoyment, I guess. Uh, I think, but I think, uh, I think like Serena, I think I watched it like, properly true I think last year um, when I was looking for stuff to watch and it popped up on my Netflix and then I rewatched it again for the podcast yeah and what's your general impression like outside of the Michael Ely of it all like <laughs> is it funny to you is it romantic to you I think it's both but I do think that it leans or skews more uh, towards the comedy side of things I think mainly because of Kevin Hart who Mm -hmm. is like you know the narrator of sorts in the film right so you know and uh, every single I think love story is guided um, through his lens right Um, (laughs) there's lots of uh, conversations that the men have together you know there's a lot of so there's a lot of that banter so I think the the movie is mainly I think leaning on the comedy side I do think not that it's my bias flaring up I think the more romantic sides are definitely involving um, Michael Ely's character with uh, Taraji P. Henson's characters yeah I think those two had more of the romantic bones in the film yeah yeah, no, I actually agree with you that I felt like their story in particular was the most romantic. It had the best pure romance scenes and it had like some pretty like kind of passionate scenes too. So I think they brought a lot of that. Although I, I thought like Regina Hall made a fantastic um, performance as well. Like her relationship had like a few more like unromantic problems in it, but I liked um, her navigating being a single mom and dating, for example. And let's see. And I also, I really did like Megan Good and Romani Malko's story, like the player and the 90 day rule. It's like, even though it's kind of like 
not the type of relationship like I'd want to be involved with, with like kind of strict limits and so forth. Like I thought they had good chemistry and so forth. So, yeah. And then like, I, I guess I can't help but find the, the Gabrielle Union story, like, like slightly relatable to my geek husband is much better at like understanding limits and boundaries. <laughs> But it's kind of funny watching a woman who's with a guy who has all these like kind of like geek habits and stuff like that. That was kind of relatable. And she's always fantastic as well. But I, I did like every performance in this movie. This is such a loaded cast with so many great actors in it. And it's really like, unfortunately, a sign of the kind of racism that has existed in Hollywood for too long that you're getting all these art actors for $12 million budget. Yeah. yeah. So. I think what struck me is when uh, in the introduction, I think you mentioned that he's not just that into you, like gross like 178 million, mm. uh, you know, and I don't think it's half as good as this film. I think this no. film is definitely better. And it's it's quite sad to, to know that, you know, there's such a disparity. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it costs more to make. He's just not that into you as well. So yeah, like they probably put more into paying the actors, I would imagine. But yeah, this is like a kind of a who's who of what would be called Black Hollywood. And like some of those people have now broken into like more, I hate to say like mainstream, but unfortunately, like like that's like, like I might talk about this a little later, but Regina Hall was in an article where she talked about the two Hollywoods and how there's Black Hollywood where like there's this like regular like kind of group of actors who you, you regularly get work. And she was part of that for years and years. And she said she went from being at the top of that list to being at the bottom of a new list. So now she's trying to compete you know, with white actors or general actors for like general roles, but she's still not going to be the first choice in a lot of cases. So I don't know, maybe, maybe we're making progress, but maybe we're not. Yeah, I agree with you, Natasha, too, that this movie is better than he's just not that into you in many ways. Uh, I think it's for one thing, a lot funnier. Like you said, it focuses so much on the comedy, but like there are some really romantic moments in it that we'll get into as we talk about the film. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk about the cast and crew. So I have the um, honor of talking about the director, Tim Story. And when I say an honor, it's because this guy has had a major success story. And it kind of touches my heart because it's kind of like a, a going from indie to blockbuster kind of success story. So he was born in Los Angeles in 1970. And he knew early on in his life he wanted to be a director. He started to direct silent films with an 8mm camera at age 12. He briefly tried out being a rapper, but then he attended USC's School for Cinema Arts, and he was inspired by reading Spike Lee's books on how he made his low-budget movies. And then he also took inspiration from an article detailing how Kevin Smith had made Clerks for $27,000. And with that sort of indie Gen X inspiration, he made his first 16mm film, One of Us Tripped, in 1997. After that, Story directed a series of music videos through the late 90s and into the early 2000s. He directed videos for artists including John B., Genuine, Too Short, Casey and JoJo, NSYNC, and more. And he also directed and co-wrote an additional feature film, 1999's The Firing Squad, before he had his breakout. And his breakout movie was in 2002 with the ensemble comedy Barbershop. And I have to say, I hadn't seen Barbershop before researching for this podcast. And it was like so much better than I thought it was going to be. Like, I was like kind of blown away. Have you guys seen that one? Yeah, it's good. It's great. It's like classic yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. a classic movie. 
Yeah, yeah. No, like having seen it now, I'm like, yeah, I wish I'd seen it earlier. So it's, it's yeah, it's a great kind of breakout film for a director. And it did very well too, like financially. And then he followed that up by directing Queen Latifah and Jimmy Kimmel in the 2005 action comedy Taxi, which I also watched to prepare for this podcast, which was, I would not call a classic, but which Queen Latifah is cool. So what are you going to (laughs) do? And then after that, Story directed the pre-MCU Marvel movies, Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer in 2005 and 2007. And according to DGA Magazine, this made him the first African-American director of a Marvel superhero movie. So yeah, that was a that was a breakthrough at the time. And then before Think Like a Man, Story also directed the movie Hurricane Season, as well as episodes of TV shows and part of a Kevin Hart comedy special, Kevin Hart Laugh at My Pain. Okay, then we had Think Like a Man. And then afterwards, 2014 Story directed Think Like a Man 2. And he also directed another movie featuring Kevin Hart, Ride Along, which got its own sequel in 2016. So Story also directed two more of Kevin Hart's comedy specials. And then other feature film Story has made after Think Like a Man include a 2019 Shaft movie with Samuel L. Jackson and a Tom and Jerry, I think it's a live action movie in 2021. Um, Story also directed TV movies and episodes of the TV shows White Famous and Queens. Then recently in 2022, Story directed a comedy thriller movie called The Blackening. And it looks like that one's going to get a limited theatrical release in 2023. I also tried to watch that because it looked really super interesting, but I couldn't find a link for it. So Story has like a ton of projects in the works right now, too. He's in post-production on a family Christmas comedy, Dashing Through the Snow. He's in pre-production on another Kevin Hart comedy, My Own Worst Enemy. And he's in development on three projects, Ride Along 3, Humbug, and get this, a movie based on the board game Monopoly, which I swear (laughs) to God, on one of our previous podcast episodes, I swear to God, I came up with the idea that we should have a a movie based on Monopoly. I'm sure that like they didn't get it from me, but I was just like, what the hell? So now we know he listens to the podcast. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) I think it was probably just out there in the ether waiting for somebody to think about doing it, probably. Yeah, but yeah, but if you do... You know, if you if you listen to our podcast, Tim Story, like we, we appreciate your work. So thank you. And um, Story has also worked on a producer on a lot of his projects. And intriguingly, and I don't but I don't know if this is actually going to happen. I'm intrigued by it. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. He's listed as a producer on a Think Like a Man TV series, which is listed as being in development. But I've seen articles saying that they were going to do a TV series like as long as like six years ago. So I don't know if it's like one of those things that's really going to happen or if it's not going to happen, who can say. And importantly, between his superhero movies and successful comedies, Story is one of the top grossing black directors of all time. So yeah, he's really, he really went from like those eight millimeter films to being just this major player in Hollywood. So it's a cool story. All right. um, So let's talk about Regina Hall. She plays Candace in the movie. Um, she was born in 1970, which <laughs> is like incredible to me because she's amazing looking. I would have never thought that I thought she'd be closer to my age, to be honest. Born in 1970 in Washington, D.C. She earned a master's degree in journalism from NYU before deciding to pursue acting. 
her first IMDb credit is for a small role in the TV show New York Undercover. By 1999, she had a breakout role with a small part in the movie The Best Man as a stripper named Candy, a role she reprised in The Best Man Holiday as the former stripper Candace. <laughs> Apparently, Candace is a, a name for her that she's in. I know. I saw that. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, what's going on here? Um, in 2000, she followed that up with a supporting role in Love and Basketball. And also in 2000, she appeared in Scary Movie in the role of Brenda. And then she went on to appear in three Scary Movie sequels. I actually love those movies. I think they oh, are really? so funny. And that's actually when I see her, I'm always like, what is she from? And then it always <laughs> goes back to Scary Movie. And I, I, I really do love those movies. I thought those movies were so funny when they came out. I maybe it was an age thing i don't know from 2001 no, they're still good oh they're still, still good, good. Okay. yeah okay. no when i was watching think like a man right my husband was beside me and he was like wait a minute is that brenda when he saw <laughs> regina hall and i was like okay <laughs> i guess <laughs> From 2001 to 2002, Hall had a regular role on the TV show Allie McBeal, if you guys remember that phenomena. Other work before Think Like a Man included the movie Death at a Funeral and a role in Law and Order LA. Around 2011, after a breakup, Regina Hall considered becoming a Catholic nun, something she had also considered when she was growing up. However, she was rejected because she had passed the age limit for the convent. Uh, well, fortunately for movie audiences, uh, Hall stayed in the acting world, and then we were able to watch her in Think Like a Man in 2012. After Think Like a Man, Hall's career began to grow more and more, and she had lead roles in the rom-coms About Last Night and reprised her role in Think Like a Man 2. She also had a main role in the indie rom-com People, Places, Things. In 2016, she appeared in Barbershop, The Next Cut, the thriller When the Bow Breaks, and had roles in a TV series, Grandfathered and Blackish. Then in 2017, Hall had another major breakout role with the hit comedy Girls Trip and also had a role in the TV show Insecure. She followed that up with a critically acclaimed role in the film Support the Girls in 2018. The same year, she also appeared in The Hate You Give and an indie film directed by one of her Think Like a Man co-stars, Romani Malko. Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison. <laughs> in 2019, she starred in the movies Little and Shaft and began appearing in the TV show Black Monday. In 2021, Hall was in the ensemble comedy Breaking News in Yuba County and the ensemble television show Nine Perfect Strangers. Recently, in 2022, Hall appeared in four projects, the horror drama Master, the comedy Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, the comedy Me Time with her frequent co-star Kevin Hart, and the TV miniseries The Best Man, The Final Chapters. Hall is currently in pre-production on Girls Trip 2, Hall began producing some of her projects in 2019 and has four production credits. In a New York Times article, Regina Hall opened up about the two Hollywoods, referring to the existence of Black Hollywood. She said, there are certain films with predominantly Black casts. The list of who's considered for parts in those is a whole different one than the list of who's considered for films with roles that could be played by anybody. I remember there was a script that I read that I loved, and my agent told me, 
they went after Amy Adams and she's not doing it. And I said, I'll do it. And he was like, they love you, but they're going to Natalie Portman. Oh, right. There's always another. Yeah. So that's kind of what we alluded to before. And yeah. Yeah. I read some really depressing article too. Um, I wish I'd like kept the actual link to it, but I read a depressing article about like just the number of non-white actors in like the top gross, like the 700 top grossing Hollywood films from like 2007 to 2014. And the numbers were depressingly low. I'm assuming they've gotten a little better since 2014, but like, I was like, that is insane. So yeah, more roles for Regina Hall would be good and other black actresses as well. All right. So we're moving on to Kevin Hart. So, so we've talked a little bit about Kevin Hart already. He plays Cedric in the film. Um, Kevin Hart, most people know, is a very successful stand-up comedian, actor, comedy writer, and producer. He was born in Philadelphia in 1979, and he started doing stand-up soon after graduating from high school. Um, his first IMDb credit is in 2001 for a TV movie, North Hollywood. And his other early roles included parts in the TV show Undeclared, Scary Movie 3 and 4, Along Came Polly, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Fool's Gold, and Death at a Funeral. In 2006, he released his first stand-up album, I'm a Little Grown Man. His second album was Seriously Funny in 2010, and he also appeared in TV specials for both of these shows. And then in 2011, Hart had his breakout with his Laugh at My Pain comedy tour. The tour grossed $15 million and was turned into a concert film directed by Think Like a Man director Tim Story. And then between Think Like a Man in 2012 and its sequel in 2014, Hart appeared in a lot of other movies, including The Five-Year Engagement, This is the End, Ride Along, and About Last Night. And he also released a film version of his stand-up show, Let Me Explain, in 2013. And then Hart went on to appear in Top 5, The Wedding Ringer, Get Hard, Ride Along 2, The Upside, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, and Night School, as well as voice acting in The Secret Life of Pets and Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. Um, And he also released a film of his stand-up show, What Now?, Yeah, so then a lot of people know about this. In 2018, Hart was announced as the host of the 2019 Oscars, but within days, Hart stepped down as the host because there was scrutiny over past homophobic jokes and tweets. So in a statement, Hart apologized for the jokes from the past and said he didn't, but said he was stepping down because he didn't want his presence to distract from the artists being honored at the ceremony. And like, I really hope that Honest, personally, I hope that Kevin Hart will host the Oscars someday. I don't think there's probably a lot of Oscar hosts who don't have perfect pass when it comes to like what kind of jokes or statements they've made. And I think he would be a really funny, you know, presence, honestly. I don't know. Do you guys have any opinions about it yourselves or? I mean, just along with the whole like, you know, cancel, cancel culture thing. It's like what people said in a completely different era compared to like what's going on now i just feel like you just can't you shouldn't really hold people that accountable to what was acceptable you know 10 12 20 years ago you can address it we can talk about it but i don't really think that people should be punished for something that was a more acceptable you know in the past than is now yeah i think people forget like how recent Yeah, I think people forget how recent the changes in U.S. culture really are, too, because like, I mean, Obama was not 
really for gay marriage at a certain point in his presidency, right? Like the Democratic Party wasn't 100% on board with these things. So, um, and there's yeah, plenty like, of people who currently aren't. So, you know what I mean? Like it's it's just really interesting in the the more like liberal aspects of of Hollywood, like the picking and choosing of like what what yeah. they're going to like what they're going to prop up. A guy like Kevin Hart who's very prolific in like the black community and is like a huge star and is like very inspirational like you're gonna pick like something like some joke he made you know and then that's gonna like ruin everything that he's accomplished there's jokes in this movie that we're talking about today that like like there's jokes in this movie we're talking about today that could be labeled homophobic as well so yes yes yeah i mean it's just like that was a very predominant part of our culture for so many years so yeah i mean obviously like it's not something you want to rely on for your humor, like in this day and age. And like, you know, you wouldn't want an Oscar, you know, host making those jokes at the Academy Awards, but like, I don't really get any indication that's what he would have done. So yeah. yeah. So I hope he'll, I hope he'll be asked at some point in the future. Come yeah. I hope place. so too, because I think Jimmy Kimmel has done it for way too long. <laughs> we need someone new, yo. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel is just safe. He's just safe. <laughs> So then um, in 2019, Hart was in a serious car accident, which required back surgery and a fair amount of rehabilitation. But like soon after his recovery, he went on to work again in The Secret Life of Pets 2, Jumanji The Next Level, a TV series called Die Hart, and the movie Fatherhood. And in 2022, Hart appeared in The Man from Toronto, Me Time, Die Hart the Movie, and he did voice acting in the DC League of Super Pets. And he has like so many things in various stages of development right now. He's got um, Back on the Strip, Lift, and Borderlines all in post-production. He has My Own Worst Enemy with director Tim Story and a remake of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles in pre-production. And he has The Great Outdoors, Ride Along 3, Uptown Saturday Night, and that Monopoly movie we mentioned before all in development. And Kevin Hart has 50 production credits and 27 writing credits in addition to his acting work. So he's been a very prolific dude. We're now going to move on to talking a little bit about the author of the book that inspired the movie and a presence in the film, Steve Harvey. All right. So Steve Harvey was born in 1957 in West Virginia and grew up in West Virginia and Ohio. In his young adult years, he worked regular jobs as a postal worker, insurance salesman, auto worker, and more, but began performing stand-up comedy in 1985. He lived in his car for three years in the late 80s while performing stand-up. In the 90s, Harvey began to find success in TV and film. He began hosting Showtime at the Apollo in 1993 and got a role on a TV show called Me and the Boys from 1994 to 1995. Then, in 1996 to 2002, Harvey got a role in a sitcom called The Steve Harvey Show, co-starring Cedric the Entertainer. In 1996, Steve Harvey also began hosting a morning radio show. He has continued to host radio shows throughout his career and has a current contract through 2026. Giving relationship advice on his radio shows is part of what led to writing self-help books. In the 1990s, Harvey went on tour with the Kings of Comedy tour. Spike Lee made a film of one of the performances called The Original Kings of Comedy. Yeah, I remember this whole era. Like, it was like the Steve yeah. Harvey era. I guess it's still going, but um, <laughs> yeah. he was he was basically just everywhere, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Harvey appeared in several other movies, mostly in the early 2000s, including The Fighting Temptations, Love Don't Cost a Thing, You Got Served, and Johnson Family Vacation. Harvey became most well-known, however, for hosting the game show Family Feud and Celebrity Family Feud and a series of talk shows. Harvey began hosting Family Feud in 2010, and currently he is set to remain as host through at least 2026. Harvey's TV talk shows Steve Harvey and Steve ran from 2012 to 2019. Are you guys fans of those? I like his feast good on Family Feud. Like I, I don't seek it out, but if it's ever like on somewhere, I, I like can't look away. And I've sometimes I've watched like on YouTube, they'll have funny clips of like the best Family Feud moments, and I'll watch right. those. All right. So Harvey also routinely makes appearances on other talk shows, panels, and as an event host with 177 credits as self on imdb <laughs> um that's amazing he's he's like his own his own brand right i guess that's what you yeah. call it yeah but most famously in 2015 harvey hosted the miss universe pageant and accidentally crowned the wrong winner miss columbia wore the <laughs> crown for two and a half minutes until he corrected the error by announcing the actual winner miss philippines in addition to act like a lady, think like a man in 2009, Harvey published additional self-help books, Straight Talk, No Chaser, that came out in 2010, Act Like a Success, Think Like a Success, <laughs> that came out in 2014, and Jump, Take the Leap of Faith to Achieve Your Life of Abundance, that came out in 2016. Hmm. So he's he's just like jumping on that wagon. He's like, yep. yeah. And... And I guess his titles are getting longer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harvey has 15 production credits and began producing some of his work in 1997. In 2017, he founded a production company called Steve Harvey Global. One of the projects from this company is Family Feud South Africa, which began in 2020, which Harvey also hosted. It seems to still be in production. Recently, in 2022, Harvey began appearing in a comedy reality court show called Judge Steve Harvey. <laughs> I have not seen that. <laughs> no, me neither. But I kind of want to now, just a little right? bit. Right? Jeez. Despite not holding any legal license, people who appear on the show and win can receive judgments paid by the production team. Yeah. All right. It's, it's not, it feels very like idiocracy, right? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> Like the judge, like it's just, it just feels ridiculous. Um, somewhat interestingly, despite writing self-help books about relationships, Harvey has been married three times. His longest marriage is to current wife, Marjorie, whom he's been with since 2007. He has six children from his marriages, including two stepchildren. In addition to his entertainment work, Harvey has a charitable foundation with his wife called the Steve and Marjorie Harvey Foundation. It focuses on youth outreach and includes mentoring camps, which Steve Harvey and his wife participate in directly. It is interesting when I did read Think Like a Man, the stories that stuck out the most to me were about, I guess, his, his current wife, Marjorie. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the stories he talked about, like, you know, the things that she did. Um, that made him, I guess, 
faithful. I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't, what, what would you say, Chad, that like kept him or whatever that changed him? He intrigued him. I don't know. Like, like to be fair, like when he was, he's been kind of grilled on like, oh, like you wrote this relationship book, but you've had all these marriages by talk show hosts. And he would say like, you know, failure is the best teacher. And so to be fair, I think, yeah, like people can learn and grow from like, their you know past relationships past experiences ideally you become a better person so hopefully it's that too i would yeah for sure so yeah so speaking of the book act like a lady think like a man it was released in 2009 and harvey says he wrote the book for his daughters to help them avoid relationship pitfalls and this is a little excerpt from the intro of the book harvey writes with this book you can get into a man's mindset and understand him better so that you can put into play your plans, your dreams, and your desires. And best of all, you can figure out if he's planning to be with you or just playing with you. And I think he reads something almost similarly to this in the movie. So like, yeah, so it sounds like um, I've read the book quite recently. I read it and I actually like even took notes on it and so forth. Um, But Serena, you said you read the book some time ago. Like, yeah, yeah. when did it say it came out in 2009 2009 yeah yeah i must have read it around that time because i feel like this piggybacked on he's just not that into you right Mm -hmm. um so it was like in that era because i remember i was living in new york at the time and i was like more in like the dating scene or interested in that world um yeah and i read it then and there you know in just I remember the bookstores. There was just like a big hype on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was all the displays. There was like a huge push for it. Um, was there a scene like in the movie where everybody was like fighting each other for copies of the book? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I definitely, <laughs> but I definitely, you know, it was being pushed. There were lots of ads and you know displays yeah. with for that for that book. So yeah, <laughs> Serena was probably having like a <laughs> a candy's moment in the bookstore. <laughs> She's just grabbing the book from someone. (laughs) Yeah, that was me. That was actually based on me. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't read the book until quite recently. Like, so I have, like, the impressions that you bring to it as, like, a married, like, 40-something. Do you remember, Serena, like, did you, at the time, did it leave a good or bad or neutral kind of impression with you? Um, like I said before, the the parts where he talked about like his wife and I guess like the moment when he like, I, I remember, I, I mean, you can correct me because you just read this and the, I'm going from memory. The, the scene where like his who is now his current wife was like walking out the door like he had been like cheating on her and like mm-hmm. he was like the, the not showing up like he should have and she was like well she like packed all of her stuff and was like ready to go and he was like oh shit. And, and that kind of struck me as like, yeah, that like, if you're willing to leave a relationship, like that's the best case scenario, I guess. I don't know. It, Cause you know, you're always trying to like work on things like, oh, I need to stay and like unconditional love. And I need to like, we need to work and blah, blah, blah. blah. But if you're just like, nope, I'm not putting up with this. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's like, that, that hadn't really occurred to me yet, I guess. Huh, okay. Yeah. Sounds like you got something useful out of it then. Yeah. Was there also, was in the book, was there a scene about them going scuba diving? Oh God. Okay. Yeah. So this like, okay. So Steve Harvey says that when a man loves you or cares about you, he will do three things, which are he will profess 
like tell other people that you're his woman. He will provide, he will try to take care of you in some kind of material way and he will protect, which is keep you safe. And so there are things that I liked about the book, but this is one of the things that really irritated me. He talked about how his wife, Marjorie loves scuba diving and parasailing and stuff, but he has like prevented her from doing that stuff so often because he's trying to protect her and he doesn't feel comfortable with her doing that stuff. And I'm like, what dude? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, as far as the book is concerned, I enjoyed like his little personal stories because I liked the stories, but I didn't necessarily agree with all of his like, okay, now this is set in stone or this Mm -hmm. is like how it should be. You know what I mean? So I enjoyed his little like comical, you know, antidotes and stuff like that, that were about his life. Um, And that scuba diving one really like stuck out to me. And it's kind of funny because like now that I'm very like water involved, like at the time, like scuba diving wasn't even like a thing in my world. So that's funny that that had always stuck out to me. That story about her scuba diving and then him having like a a panic attack on the boat. Yeah, (laughs) Like it's a very strange. So this whole book for me was a very strange mixture of like some things I was like, you know, that kind of seems generally true about men. Like I can see like, you know, that this makes this makes sense of a lot of sort of things that males have been socialized to do that I've observed over time. Like, I can understand that now. But it, but at the same time, he's coming from a very, also a very specific kind of like a religious kind of point of view. Like, he doesn't bring up God quite a bit. And also just like he's a specific kind of man. Like, not every man is identical to Steve Harvey. Like, the, the, the part where he says, like, a man is not going to... um want to take care of a woman or want to have a woman in his life until he's successful in his career. I'm like, when I read that and okay, this is my woo woo shit, but I'm like, I read that. I'm like, I bet he's a Capricorn. And then I looked up his birthday and he was a Capricorn. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wait. Cause that right there is some Capricorn shit. So, and like, Oh my God. Are you like a horoscope savant or something? Like what is that? No. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that it's kind of woo-woo at me, but I, but I just know that's not true of all men, right? And, like, I was thinking to myself, that's what they always say about Capricorns, and I was like, I was right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, it's like a, it's a strange mixture of things that seem sort of generally true and, like, could be useful to you. Like, yeah, you don't necessarily want to be with a guy if he's not telling people that you're together and that's what you want out of a relationship, right? Like, things like from he's just not that into you that are kind of, like, basically about having self-esteem about setting kind of some kind of standard for yourself. But at the same time, he's also coming from in some ways, a kind of parochial patriarchal kind of, you know, viewpoint where he's yeah, it seems definitely. reasonable. Yeah. Where it seems reasonable to prevent your wife from scuba diving, if that's one of her passions. So he also says about men that men need support, love and quote the cookie, which is how he refers to sex. And we see that in the movie too. And, and there's a quote from Harvey, quote, the emotional stuff, the talking, the cuddling, the holding hands and bonding. That's y'all's thing. The way we men connect is by having sex, period. It's how we plug in, recharge and connect, end quote. And like, I'm sorry, but that is not true of all dudes. And I know this for a fact. Like, I've, there are plenty of dudes who, who need the cuddling. They need the bonding. They need the talking. This is like Steve Harvey, like, is not some kind of, like, um, professional psychologist or sociologist. Like, he is telling you stuff from, like, maybe his experience and dudes he has talked to. So we always have to take these books with a grain of salt. And then, yeah, and then, Natasha, what you mentioned, sports fish versus keepers. That's one of the things we get from the book that we also see in the movie. So that's something that sticks with you? 
Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I wrote down like all the analogies that he used. Yeah. Uh, and it was funny because I think when I was watching it, my husband was like half watching it with me. Mm-hmm. And then when he talked about Chirp Chirp Girl. Oh, Chirp Chirp Girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I turned to my husband and I was just like, oh my God, I'm Chirp Chirp Girl. <laughs> because like, uh, he, I mean, he would just, yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to open my car doors. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, he would just yeah. like, you know, chop chop, and then I'll just get in. And today, he made a point to come and open the door for me. <laughs> I love that. That's kind of sweet, actually. Yeah, he was like, you know, if you want, if you want me to be the man who opens your door, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, it's okay. It's weird. <laughs> so that that's was nice. Of, yeah, but that, yeah, that was interesting. Cool. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with just like being someone who gets in the door. Like that's the thing. And I don't know if Chirp Chirp Girl was actually in his book or not. I can't remember. I don't remember writing that down. But like, yeah, this idea that like a woman should expect a man to do things like open the door for you, pull out your chair, that type of thing is kind of one of his like uh, things that he talks about, like acting like a lady. It's kind of an antiquated notion for me because I've never been... um, I've always kind of been of the mind that like I will pay for my share of food or I'll even pay for you or I might hold the door open for you. Like when I've been dating, that's always been my ethos. Like I feel like if we expect feminism, we expect, you know, to be treated equally. Like we should also expect to like, you know, put in our share in the dating world. You know, I'm coming from a very different mindset than Mr. Harvey here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At the same time, it can be nice to have your door open for you, though. So, yeah, yeah. I kind of go back and forth on like all of that stuff, you know, and it's and, you know, as like uh, someone who like identifies with, I guess, being a feminist, like a very like progressive, I almost have like a a more masculine roles in my life, you know, like that feminine masculine kind of stuff. It is kind of nice to like sit back and like be taken care of and like have those moments. And I think at least my boyfriend like likes that stuff too like he does open doors and in certain time not all the time you know what i mean but it's kind of like oh well today you know we're going out to do that do those roles i don't know yeah i guess it's not something that you would do like all the time necessarily but maybe definitely like in the the courting phase Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree i agree i think it's like nice but uh, I mean, I don't think it's an expectation necessarily all the time. Yeah, I agree. All right. So I think, um, yeah, I think as we go, we can talk about some of his other um, advice. So how does how does that sound to everybody? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, so we're actually going to get into the movie now. We have been, this is a pretty long episode today. So I hope listening audience, um, I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And here we, we're going to now come to the opening of the movie. And I found it really interesting. So this is a movie about a book that was aimed at women, right? Like this book was written mainly to be read by women. And we have a lot of great female stars in the movie, but it opens up the movie with the song, It's a Man's World by James Brown. And we have Kevin Hart narrating over a cartoon that's basically about men. Like it's like some supposed history of men from like prehistoric times trying to prove themselves. And it goes through these different scenes and then cut to today. Today, men have the home court advantage. It's interesting to me that this film from a book aimed towards women seems to be aiming itself quite a bit towards men. Did you did you both notice that as well? I think it's because it's it 
the movies like it's think like a man right so i guess that's mm-hmm. why we are like brought into like the space of the mind of a man like i mm-hmm. i i i get why it would start that way because that's what women want access to right according to steve mm-hmm. harvey we want to know how a man thinks right or what's on his mind so i guess that's why um yeah so i didn't really feel out of place i guess because of i guess the title yeah yeah, I'm wondering too if it's like a choice, like in some ways a commercial choice to make this a movie that both men and women will will watch and feel like, oh, well, this movie's also for me. You know, like like a man might be reluctant sometimes to go to like a romantic comedy, but this is like Kevin Hart's narrating and like it's like aimed around this group of male friends so they can feel comfortable. I don't know. Yeah, I think definitely. I think that's always the struggle with rom- rom-coms, right? Uh, you mm. know, does it skew a bit too much to women? You know, I think definitely they would want a little bit more of a balance or, you know, something that, you know, women can bring their men to and both would enjoy it equally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, we go from this cartoon to the basketball court and we're going to see these guys primarily at this basketball court or their favorite bar. And the group of guys is sort of introduced in this very quick, like, montage setup. We have the player, who's named Zeke, played by Romney Malko. Like, we're recording in two sessions, and I accidentally pronounced his name incorrectly last time, so it's Romney Malko. Um, we have the mama's boy, who is Michael, played by Terrence J. Uh, we have the dreamer whose name is Dominic played by Michael Ely, Natasha's favorite. And I, and honestly my favorite in this movie too. I liked him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have the non-committer um, named Jeremy played by Jerry Ferrara. And then we have the happily married man uh, named Bennett played by Gary Owen. Oh, and Jeremy and um, Jeremy and Bennett are the like token white guys in the friend group. And um, like, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting the dynamic they all have throughout the movie too. It's very loose. It's like very like um, not tiptoeing on anyone's feelings at times, like probably things that some people would find offensive. They t- say to each other, which but I, I think it's kind of, I personally thought was like what real friendship is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it, I think this was like a showing of like, I, I, I think a lot of times that like, interracial friendships are misrepresented a lot of times in in movies Mm. and i felt like this was more spot on yeah especially for a group of dudes (laughs) especially (laughs) because dudes are always ragging on each other about stuff and then um there's a happily married man like played by gary owen and then there's the quote happier divorced guy played by kevin hart so I thought it was very efficient how they introduced each of these guys. They each had a little situation that showed you um, who their character was. For example, when they were showing that um, Michael is the mama's boy, they show him on a Valentine's date with a woman. And then he's like, happy Valentine's, sweetie, or whatever. And she's like, to the lady. And she's like, yeah. And then he says, oh. and happy Valentine's Day to you too, mom. And then his mom is right at the table with him at his date. You're right, I think. Uh, it's, well, it's quite economic, I would say. It's a great mm. way to, I think, do characterization without like um going, I guess, into much, um, too much exposition as well. So um, yeah, so we get a sense of the guys immediately. Um, trying to remember what each one was. <laughs> I can only remember Dominic's, <laughs> Michael Ely's uh scene. I think where he was um, he was talking about how he wants to be a chef, and the the girl dumps him. 
Yeah, because I guess he had other dreams before that he like stopped pursuing and she just like doubts that he's going to take this one seriously. Yeah. Yeah. He's a dreamer. And then, yeah. Yeah. I don't, they didn't have one for um, Bennett. He's the happily married guy. He's more of a, a side character. We don't see anything really about his wife. I think they do show somebody who's supposed to be his wife near the end of the movie. But then interestingly, in the sequel, he has a totally different wife. I think they're just hoping that we forget that he had they sh- they brought a wife in in the last scene. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And we don't also don't see we don't see Kevin Hart's like sort of ex-wife that he's getting a divorce from. We just hear him talking on the phone kind of like angrily to her, like Gail, like over and over during the movie. And then we get the reveal near the end. Yeah. yeah. And we also learn about the sort of basic situations of the women's lives. Like this is not, we're not going to tell this movie in totally chronological order. Because here's the interesting thing about this movie. It's just jumping from place to place all the time. This movie has a lot of momentum. Mostly it's, there's a lot of narration from Kevin Hart. And it just keeps going from place to place. By the way, what did you guys think about the um, use of the narration by Kevin Hart? I feel like there was so much going on. Because there's a lot of couples to follow, right? So I felt like the narration kind of helped you like bring you back to like the full story. You know what I mean? So that you didn't get like so caught up in like in each individual one. So that kind of like mm-hmm. um it was easier to follow along. I feel like that's why they did the narration to to even begin with just so that you had kind of like a a focus. Yeah. If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think what uh, the movie does very well, and I think, Jen, you were talking about this idea of momentum, right? I think Mm -hmm. they use the narration to kind of enhance that. Because basically, like, I think they use it as a way to kind of build tension. Like, at at some point, uh, Kevin Hart will basically, you know, kind of clue us into the fact that something's about to happen. You know, when, like, Uh, when the men discover, you know, about the Steve Harvey book. You know, and he and you know Kevin Hart's narration would be like, oh, you know, but things were about to take a turn or something like that, right? So he would kind of like clue us in, and then you know we would be like watching intently to see, you know, essentially like yeah, what changes the picture. So I think um yeah, so I think it helps keep all the stories I think connected, and I think it also kind of helps the film have that momentum. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I just realized too? Like I kind of realized that like another thing that has a lot of narration is Sex in the City, the actual show. And so Kevin Hart's kind of like the carry of this universe. He's the Sarah Jessica Parker in a sense. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He seems like he's into Manolo Blanix. <laughs> <laughs> I just I like thinking of him in that role now though. But he but I, yeah, he's yeah, that's what he's that's his function in a sense, narratively, I guess. Yeah. So so the basic situation of the women though and the and their relationships. So Kristen is dating Jeremy. She's played by Gabrielle Union, and they've been together for nine years without getting married. So that's their um basic problem. Um Maya is played by Megan Good, and we see her at the beginning of the movie shown after a one-night stand with the character played by Chris Brown. They've had sex. She goes into the other room, I think to use the bathroom or something. She's brought coffee back for both of them. And as soon as she goes into the other room, he gets dressed in a hurry, leaves. And then this is the kicker. He takes like both the coffees with him. (laughs) Yeah. Not even just one of them. He takes both of the coffees. And I was like, damn. Then we see Lauren, played by Taraji P. Henson, and we find out she's a successful career woman. 
And we kind of find out when she's talking back to Steve Harvey on the TV that she does not want to settle for a man without a good career. A couple of the women are shown kind of arguing with Steve Harvey on the TV or agreeing with him on the TV. He's kind of this like small, like omnipresent background character. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, Candace's situation, played by Regina Hall, she has a son. Her worry is that if she dates men, they won't accept her son. So yeah, that's our basic beginning situation. We get out of the beginning situation when the women find out about Steve Harvey's book. Like I said, that we see them watching Steve Harvey on the TV, and then they buy and begin reading and highlighting even the book. So as we're getting the women uh, in touch with this book, Candace is actually buying it at the Barnes & Noble. And that's where she ends up meeting Michael. He's in line at the bookstore as well. And this is kind of comical scene where he's trying to talk to her. And there's like this like kind of burly dude between. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who can get a hint. (laughs) I mean, he does let Michael go ahead of him. Like in the end, he's just kind of like, oh man, really? I have to deal with this like today. I don't know. That that side character really had a whole like, he he had a lot of presence. I thought (laughs) whoever that guy was. He's basically um, yeah, me at, at a bookstore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all these people trying to cut in front of me. I'm just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no having any meat cutes on my watch, okay? I'm just here to buy my book <laughs> and not for you to have your romantic connection. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, we find out Michael went to the same high school as Candace, though, and he used to be kind of nerdy or whatever. And he um, wants her to go to coffee And she kind of declines and she decides because Steve Harvey's advice told her so on TV that she should be upfront about having a kid right away. So she tells um, him, I have a son. I can't, you know, go to coffee right now. And then she's pleasantly surprised when he asks her to dinner anyway. So that's the first hint we see of someone incorporating the advice from the book. So now we get to um, Maya's situation, who was left by the Chris Brown who took both her coffees. And Maya in the story is going to take on the 90 day rule. So she's sick of being left by men. And Maya tells her friend Sonia, who's played by Lala Anthony, that she is going to, quote, control the cookie. (laughs) And um, Sonia, her friend, like, is first, like, not sure what she's talking about, but she explains the situation to her. And I'm going to play a little clip about um, Maya's Maya's, uh, new commitment. All right, let me ask you a question. Where is the last guy that you slept with in less than 90 days? You mean hey, John? baby. What's up, girl? Hey, I had a great time another night. Oh, did you, Alex? Yeah, man, I was going to call you. No. It's Maya, yeah. Negro. I'm, I got to go, so I'll call you. I hey, know you hey. did not just call her hey. Melanie. It's okay. I'm not even going to let him get to me. Whew, I'm in a better place, and I am on another level. I don't know, Sonia. I feel like I have x-ray visions, like man goggles. You know, we spend all this time complaining about how guys don't want to be in relationships, they just want to hook up, but really all along, we've had the power. Right. We have? Yes. We control the cookie. She who controls the cookie controls the game. <laughs> okay, I got it. What's the cookie? It's a metaphor. For what? For... Yes, the cookie. cookie. I got it, the cookie. I'm telling you, the power is in the cookie. So how do we control the cookie? By putting it in the cookie jar, Mm -hmm. clasping the lid on tight, and leaving it in there. Okay. Until some little boy actually grows up and earns it. 
I get it. It's kind of like when my cousin had the five date rule. It was like similar to that. <laughs> no, 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 that's child's play. I'm thinking something a little bit more radical. So this is why you need to get the book because it has a whole chapter on it. It's getting the respect that you deserve. The 90 day rule. Are you high? Who is waiting 90 days? Well, if it's good enough for the Fortune 500 company, it's good enough for me. All right, so we have the 90 day rule introduced in the movie. Um, any thoughts on the scene that we just listened to? I, I do think it's kind of the whole like calling it the cookie is like a really kind of bizarre. I don't know. I, it just kind of make it's like an ick factor to me, but that's just <laughs> well, me, I guess. Yeah, that is straight out of the book. So yeah, I know. Which I, I don't know. I don't. I don't find it very flattering. <laughs> the cookie, oh, like, like <laughs> yuck. <laughs> But I'm struggling to think of what else he could have called it. <laughs> like, what other easy metaphors would there be for the cookie? I mean, I think, like, really, the solution, like, probably, I'm not, I don't know if I'm speaking for you, Serena, but for me, the solution would just be to say what it is. Like, like, the just say you're, with, you're withholding sex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> until they, yeah. until they straighten out or until you, you they've proven to, themselves yeah, yeah until yeah. you know i don't know it's just this or even, yeah or even just benefits like he says benefits later like that's a little more um something that people recognize yeah. as a phrase anyway yeah i don't know but are you okay with the cookie natasha that is called the cookie or yeah oh okay <laughs> Yeah, you're okay with it being called the cookie? I okay. Personally, yeah, like I'm a fan of metaphors. <laughs> okay. Think, yeah, All right. But, I mean, I, I just think like you, you can't use the actual, like I think if you, if he had said like, you know, um, if the chapter is called like, you know, you know, he uses like, oh, you just withhold sex. I think it, it doesn't have like a, you know, a vibe to it. I don't know. Like it would just be like, a, <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, I mean, whereas if you use things like control the cookie, I guess it has like a, self-help kind of labelish thing to it. Mm. It sounds kind of catchy, mm. even though it, I guess it's yucky. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's probably his cons- I feel like it might be his conservatism a little bit combined with his comedy, like, probably coming out because, like, like he might be aiming this partly at women who don't want to talk about, like, um, sex. The word sex or, like, you know, certainly words for their vagina or something. I don't know. or But it could be partly his comedy streak as well that, that's causing him to write it that way. I don't know exactly. It makes me think of Limp Biscuit though. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Of all things, <laughs> Jen, Because, no. like, I did it all for the nookie so you could take that cookie and stick it up your yaw or whatever. I don't know. That's, like, what, it, what comes to mind for me. So for better or for worse, Steve Harvey, that's what you did. But... <laughs> But um, yeah, about the scene though. So I get like you see, it kind of goes from place to place. You hear the music change, and your this conversation is taking place. Like we said, momentum. It keeps kind of shifting scenery. We start out with like Chris Brown showing up and calling her the wrong name. I think he does it like three times in the movie. Like rule of three, calls her like three different wrong names. Like Michelle, <laughs> Melanie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Monique or something. Yeah, yeah over and over again so that he's kind of always in the background showing up which is kind of funny to be like i don't think that's really what happens with hookups per se i think they just disappear and run away more or less yeah but- i think the fact that he's so overly friendly is a bit strange <laughs> <laughs> he's overly friendly but then he's immediately with the next girls anyway it's just like it's like those guys who honk at you from a car and then drive away like they're, they're just 
making their presence known, but they're not really taking it seriously. And um, okay, but like then she talks about this like 90 day rule. And what do you guys think about 90 days as being the time limit? Like any thoughts on that? I mean, it's a long time. That seems like a long time to me. Yeah, I was trying to think of it like in college semesters, for example. Like you'd be done with the semester at college, basically. Yeah, 90 days. That's three months, right? That's three months. Yeah, you'd probably you'd meet a guy and you'd be like, okay, we're like, like you maybe you'd tell him maybe when it's 90 days, be like, well, I'll see you after semester break, basically. Natasha, any thoughts on it? I think I think um, it's just a concept. Like I think uh, it doesn't have to be ninety days, but I think you know when you if you wait, I guess then it would allow like the two of them to build a relationship first. Like I think the thing mm. about hookup culture is that you know you hook up and then you know and then you just kind of walk away. Like, it's just about, I guess, the pleasure that you feel. And I mean, if, if you're into that, then that's fine, right? But I guess the thing about Maya is that she wants a relationship, but she's essentially engaged in hookup culture. And, you know, so she, and when she sleeps with the guy, I mean, that's that essentially is just what he wants, right? And then he leaves. So I think it doesn't, I think, necessarily have to be 90 days. But I think it's just the idea of, um, you know, what will happen, I guess, uh, allowing a relationship to develop because you wait, I guess. I don't know. The in- yeah, the interesting thing is like, um, so I'm Gen I'm Gen X, and like the the generation we grew up in, like we didn't have, of course, like the internet, like as a means of hooking up, or at least it was in its very infancy. And I did sleep with a lot of guys very quickly. Um, in some cases, though, these were guys that I'd been known as acquaintances or friends, like for some time. I don't think I have ever in my life waited 90 days to sleep with someone though. Like once it became apparent that we had feelings for each other, it was either like pretty much right away or like maybe a couple weeks, like at most, I guess it's a hybrid for me. Like I've, I've gotten to know guys maybe even as long as 90 days, but before there was a romantic context in place. But once the romantic context was in place, I was always like jumping in. So for me, like it's fascinating to me to think about like meeting a guy and then dating him for 90 days and then having sex because that's just never been the way I've done anything. I've never really been involved in the dating culture, period. I think, I mean, I think that the problem with what uh, was happening with her is that she wants a relationship, but because, you know, um, I guess what these men that she's with, they want something different. They just want sex. So, yeah, yeah, so it it never gets a chance, I guess, to, to develop beyond, you know, the hookup. I, I understand the concept of it. Yes, 90 days is a, a really long time, but I, I I see what Natasha is saying is that it, it can be any length of time just so that that's not the goal. The goal, the ultimate goal isn't just to have sex. The ultimate goal is to have a relationship or is to have a connection beyond the sex, which is ultimately what ends up being a healthier relationship because obviously a relationship based on sex doesn't really work long term you know but obviously if you're a woman that is looking to just have sex or just looking to hook up like mm-hmm. that yeah that's fine too you know yeah but yeah, yeah. Uh, and i don't think that's necessarily what it's saying there i think it's just saying that if this is what you want then this is what you should do but of course i'm sure we've all heard scenarios of people who you know have stayed together after a one night stand yeah. you know what i mean so that isn't always like the not a one night stand but it doesn't it, having sex the first no. time they meet and then it developing into more you know that isn't necessarily 
the yeah 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 i mean that makes I sense I, yeah i think so um but i think i guess it's like what's the pattern for maya right because i think for her i guess it hadn't been working out that way you know um so like nothing was developing beyond the hookup so i think that's yeah. why she she gravitated towards this particular rule yeah um yeah. yeah but it definitely can happen in a sense that you know you can hook up and then a relationship can still ensue from from there yeah and and i was trying to think of examples where that had happened in my life but i realized that like pretty much in all the cases like where a relationship happened i did have some established friendship with the guy uh, or at least long-term acquaintanceship with the guy first. So I guess I haven't like, compl- I guess like, yeah, I haven't completely formed relationships off of like a hookup. It was already like friends then leading into that. So, yeah. Okay. Another thing that Maya talks about to Sonia is the concept of a sports fish versus a keeper. So a sports fish is a fish that a guy will like allegedly, according to Steve Harvey, keep as a trophy to show off to his friends but the keeper is the one that he's going to eat and you want to be the keeper. I don't really know about this metaphor personally, because <laughs> first of all, if you're, if you catch a trophy fish, right, you usually put it on your wall to show off to people. So you are also keeping it. Whereas if you eat the fish, it is gone. So I don't understand how this metaphor really works. Yeah, this one confused me. I was like, what? You know, because I was also thinking the same thing, right? Like if you, you put a fish on a wall and it's a trophy fish, like it's on display, right? And I keep it for yeah. life, right? Like, yeah, uh, you know, if I fish to eat, then the, I eat the fish. So, so I was, I was confused also. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if he thought it through quite like completely. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to be either of those fish because they're both dead. But <laughs> yeah. He probably, yeah, he probably had a dream and he was like, he called up his editor and he's like, "Yo, I have this great analogy." And yeah. the editor was like, I don't think it makes sense. And he's like, just go with it. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, Maya wants to be this um, keeper. So in an effort to do this, she chooses a less sexy dress than usual. So that like he will not be overly focused on her body is the, is the thought. Or he will see her as more respectable. The next thing we talked about this already, like she makes Zeke open the car door for her on their date because she doesn't want to be a chirp chirp girl. Okay, but then he does like a total dick move. She tells him she wants the door open. He drives away. I'm sorry, but I would not go on that date at that point. Yeah, I thought that I I thought that too. I was like, and that's when I would have turned around. I'd be like, nope. I mean, like, that's way worse than not opening the door for you, doing the, the joke drive away yeah, when you're, like, right. on your first day. Right? Like, she doesn't, that'd be, maybe it'd be funny if you already, like, had established some sort of, like, rapport with each other, but to do it right away when you don't know each other, that's a red flag. So, but, but they do go on the date, and then later, with, when they're sort of at the end of their date, um, Maya finds out that Zeke used to be in an R&B band and asks to hear his CD and he, she hears his, a track of his where he's singing. It's like, last night I had a dream about a dream about you. That's like the basic lyrics. It was a nice song, I thought. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's a nice song. I think it was also kind of like a more romantic like R&B song. And I think that kind of, I think you were being shown that there was like another side to him other than just being yeah. like a player, right? 
So if he wrote those yeah. that song, obviously he has like some deeper emotions. Yeah. Yeah, and she recognizes that. She feels that she must have had a broken heart and she expresses that to him. And it kind of creates this like first connection between them that she cares to hear his music and that she cares to like think about his music as well. And Zeke is like super surprised then when Maya will not invite him up, but she doesn't like tell him about the 90 day rule. She just, she just goes in. So now we come to the non-committer versus the girl who wants the ring. And as we said, Kristen and Jeremy have been together for nine years since college. We find out she's a successful real estate agent and he's some type of designer. I feel like in a movie, whenever you want to give like a vague job to somebody, they're always a designer. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. And we find out, though, that he's maybe not living up to his potential as a designer. And we see their house, and it is decorated with his action figures, his anime posters. He keeps talking about his anime posters. And this, like, terrible, grotty old couch. <laughs> and, okay, like, I do not have a problem with my husband's geek stuff. But, like, I think if he was putting more of it out, it might get to the point where I would. Like, he has a lot of action figures, um, but they're mostly boxed up at the moment. We don't have a lot of room to put them out. But he also respects sort of, like, that they shouldn't be everywhere. Was this relatable to either of you? Like, have you ever had a design conflict with your partner or something? They wanted to put stuff out that you're just like, uh... My husband has, like, a lot of, like, he collects, like, um, you know, just cars, like, tiny cars, um, okay. Yeah, so he collects that. Um, you know, but I think ultimately they would exist where they need to exist in the house, <laughs> and yeah. they would not be like all over the place. No, because <laughs> it's a yeah, shared space, yeah, yeah. you know. So it can't be that you know you you. I mean, you can have your space. You can you know have what you want in your space. But I think you know if uh it's a living room you know in a shared space i think we must like it has to be cohesive i don't know like i i would not stand for for that <laughs> <laughs> serena have you ever had any conflict of this type um, um yeah in the past like for sure like i remember having big issues with like uh like having like a giant tv like in the living space and then like video mm. games being played like I don't know. I just, I just don't like that. I guess like the focal point of a of a living yeah. room is like the TV, and then I don't know. I'm not a vi a huge video game person, but I just at I find that so rude. And like there had been so many years where I remember just like just hanging out and just like watching someone play video games you know what i mean mm. and how like horribly like unstimulating that was but for some yeah. reason you just like went along with it because you i don't know like you wanted them to think you were the cool girl or that you were like mm. chill or something whereas like now i'm just like i'm not fucking chill like i want i, I want i want quiet space you know what i mean like i want my area to be quiet i don't want to deal with this you know what i mean and now and i think that is a lot of just like a maturity thing and i think that's what's being shown with this particular relationship is that she's maturing like she wants to grow up you know she wants to be mm -hmm. more of an adult she wants to have more of an adult space and you know yeah. and he's just not he's not coming with her at that moment you know what yeah, i mean yeah. and and when that starts to happen like i think that like i've personally seen a lot of relationships implode because of that because you know people just grow at different rates sometimes and yeah that is an issue and your own your space is very much your own issue too i think it i think it 
and maybe I'm saying this wrong, but especially for women, I think women are just like much more like nesters naturally and like need to have a certain aesthetic. I guess men do too, but I, I just haven't really seen that as much. Like, I feel like guys are a lot more comfortable just being like, yeah, like you, you make a nice house, you know, like. Well, yeah. So I think like Jeremy does have a sense of aesthetic, but his aesthetic just means I want to show everybody all the geek things I've collected. Like, <laughs> yeah. here you go. Yeah. One, like one of my ex-boyfriends, um, Serena, you'll probably figure out who it was, used to have a Christmas tree every year that was decorated by a different theme of his action figures, which which, which I kind of found endearing, but I don't know if I would find it endearing if I had ended up marrying him. Like yeah. over the years, I'd probably be like, all right, we got to do something besides the action figures this year. So oh, can we, can we, oh, can we not? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> i mean it was pretty clever to be honest like this is the spider-man tree this year but like yeah I, yeah I, I do like to have a little more control over what things look like at our house and lee and i have found a good balance with a spider-man tree yeah he just had, he, had, he had so many spider-man figures and things that he just had like all the different spider-mans were like hanging out in the tree and stuff oh my yeah God. Jesus, uh, jesus was not born for that no <laughs> Uh, oh, oh yeah he's he's quite secular so yeah <laughs> he's quite secular all right so um that's one of the best lines anyone's ever said on this podcast by the way i, I, I love it okay so Kristen does then begin redecorating she just puts her foot down and decides it's time and she moves his stuff out so that they can paint but then she he comes jeremy comes home and finds her like talking with this Italian decorator named Gianni and they're talking to each other in Italian and it's hilarious like Gabriel Union has such like a fun like comic timing with him and like he's all befuddled and he's like you speak Italian now yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah and then Kristen also begins hinting to Jeremy that he should apply for a better job which is interesting like it's it's kind of combining like Lauren's like preoccupation with her partner having a good job i don't know if it's like the money that or the status that Kristen's after i think maybe it's more that she just wants a sign that jeremy's like has plans for the future what do you guys think yeah it's the whole short-term long-term goals thing right you know yeah yeah because i he i think the thing about him is that he just likes to coast right he's just kind of been status quo for nine years you know because like in his opinion i think things are good right you know i've got my girl i've got my my geek stuff i've got my job you know that i'm decent at i think generally i don't know i i think i want a man who's aspirational who's like always i guess thinking towards some sense of the future like you know i mean it doesn't have to be like oh tell me you know your give me a bucket list or like you know the top 10 things or something like that but i do think that some aspect of aspirational quality should be there and especially when you know someone, you know, isn't like living up to their potential, you know what I mean, is just kind mm. of like coasting, or like using you as a crutch. You know, I see that a lot of times with with, with, I guess with both, but with men, a lot of times, they're kind of like using the woman as a, a meal ticket, I guess, you know, or using their aspirations to just be able to like, hang back and, and not really do anything. We're now we're now moving on to speaking of people who um, maybe aren't living up to their potential yet, um, but in a different way. We have the dreamer versus the woman who is her own man. So we kind of get introduced to this concept with Lauren, 
um, played by Taraji P. Henson. She's friends with Candace. And Candace is trying to convince her to give men who don't make six figures a chance in her life. And then we see Dominic, who is working as some type of like maybe prep cook. And he sees Lauren come into his high-end restaurant. And Dominic is asked to serve as a valet temporarily. And he pursues Lauren in a car, a fancy car that isn't his. Uh, They proceed to make a date. And at first, Dominic wants to be honest with Lauren and tell her, like, listen, I'm just, you know, a prep cook. I was just driving. But the guys all encourage him to lie. So he borrows a town car from one of his friends. And Cedric, played by Kevin Hart, acts as his driver. So what do you what do you guys think about their setup, their meeting, their encounter? I thought Kevin Hart was funny as the the driver and as the waiter later on. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> when he ate the orders. <laughs> so that was funny. Yeah, when he first yeah, when he first meets her as the driver, she gets in the car and she's like, damn, that skirt is short or something <laughs> yeah. like that. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh sorry sir. Sorry sir. <laughs> You can take it out of my tip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the memorable moments like in the in the film. What do you think about his decision not to tell Lauren who he really is? Not a good start. Not a good start. I don't think that's something that you should do in real life. I don't think he wanted to. I think it's because like his friends encouraged him to. They were like, you know, like seal the deal first, right? And then after that, you know, yeah. when she's hooked, I guess then tell her the truth, right? So they kept, and he was just like, no, you know, I, I can't do that, you know, and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But he gets kind of like convinced by them. Yeah, but I think Lauren would not have dated him at all, would not have gone out with him had he told her the truth. Probably which not. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Not at that point. Which is, you know, kind of sad in some ways. Yeah. Because they have a very successful first date. They're definitely vibing with each other. They actually end up having sex on their first date, which is interesting, too, because it goes, it contravenes the um, whole 90-day rule completely. Like, not everybody in this movie is doing all the rules from the Steve Harvey book. Like, they're all like portraying just different parts of it, basically. Yeah. Um, I guess it's what yeah. works for you, right? Like, what do you yeah. think applies to you? Yeah. Yeah, and and when we were talking about he's just not that into you, we were also talking about how in he's just not that into you, not all the relationships follow that book's advice either. In fact, the ones with the happy ending specifically don't. So <laughs> these movies that are portraying these self-help books don't always they don't always mirror the advice in the books they were based on. So and they do have the successful first date. Dominic omits or lies and says he's a chef deciding between jobs and he tells her about his dream of opening a restaurant. And she, she likes all that. She likes that he has a dream. Yeah, Michael Ely, Natasha, I totally agree with you. He is very attractive dude. Like, like out of all the guys in the movie, he's the one that I was like, mm-hmm. Yes. And his character, too. I like his character as well. So for you, is it more like the way he looks? Is it the kind of character he plays? What is it about him? I think it's his, like, it's his charm. He's, he's very, like, charismatic and very charming. And I think he and Taraji have, like, a really great chemistry. Like I don't know, yeah. just the like even when he was just kind of um in the back of the restaurant, you know, when he was in the kitchen and he was looking at her, you know, and he was excited. I don't know, like you could feel the chemistry and that when they have that whole like car exchange moment, even though it's like comedic because he can't open the window. Like, yeah. you know, like that I think they brought a much needed like sexiness 
to the film. Yes. You know, because we don't really yeah. get it in, I think, with the other couples as much. So I think they really, like, brought that. And they have, like, a sexy song. Do you guys remember? There's, like, a song that always... Like the John plays- Legend song? The best you'll ever yes, have. Yes, Is yes, yes. That that's the one. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't remember how the whole thing goes though. But yeah, they've they've definitely they're given more of the sexy you know vibe, which is interesting. I think like um, Megan Good and Romney Malko also like Zeke and um, Maya also have chemistry, but the nature of their story where she's withholding sex <laughs> kind of prevents that from being highlighted. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right, so now we get to the mama's boy versus the single mom. We have, of course, Regina Hall in this role. I kind of think, okay, so because I've seen the sequel, have either of you seen the sequel? No. Yeah, I watched the sequel. Okay, yeah. So because of the sequel and like its topic, I think of the mama's boy and the single mom as being the main relationship in this movie, even though there really isn't one. They're kind of given like equal time, right? But, like, because the second movie focuses more on this couple, like, this is what I think of as, like, the, the main couple, in a oh, sense, okay. which is why we, yeah, which is why I chose to focus on Regina Hall in particular. Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, initially, um, Candace and Michael, they go on this, like, successful first date after they meet in the bookstore. And Candace asks Michael questions about his goals and um, other things that give her the idea that he is ready to commit. So these questions like are in the Steve Harvey book. You're supposed to ask the guy, like, what are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? Um, what are your views on relationships? Stuff like that. What do you guys think about these questions I get to ask them like on a first date or near the beginning? I asked my husband after I watched this, I asked him, what are your short-term goals? Huh? And he said, oh, to get lunch. So I was like, that's great. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, where was Steve Harvey when I, when I was getting married? So I was like, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> well, to be, to be fair, it really depends on one's view of what short-term is. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, like, be like, well, let's talk about, like, three months from now. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's instead of, like, three minutes from now or whatever. Yeah, I should have been specific. <laughs> did you reveal to him the purpose of your questioning or? Yeah, did you... because he was watching beside me, you know, he was, pretending, oh, okay, okay, okay. he was pretending not to watch because he was doing like cool things like playing video games, but he was completely <laughs> watching it as well. So. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Serena, about these questions? I mean, I think they're a pretty good idea, to be honest. Like, they're not they're not bad questions to be asking someone, you know? Yeah. Like, and they are also, like, kind of getting to know you questions in general. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff's kind of important. Like, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? You know, like. Yeah. I like that they're open-ended, too. So they're not, like, a yes or no question. They, like, yeah. leave room for, like, many possible answers. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if somebody asked me those questions on yeah. a date. Yeah, I would just feel like they were just trying to get to know me better, you know? Yeah, and I think it's also about alignment, right? You know, do essentially what you want also align with what they want, you know, because, you know, if this person's long-term goal is, you know, to be like a rock star or something, right? You know, like, can you deal with it? Like, are you able to kind of handle that kind of lifestyle, you know, or like, you know, be with the person while, you know, he figures that stuff out? Yeah, so I think uh, those are relevant questions to ask, I think, to ascertain compatibility, I think it's also important that you are able to ask these questions to yourself first, because I think in my 20s, I wasn't even necessarily thinking about that way about my own life, right? So like, if I'd asked that to a guy, 
I, I hadn't even prepared my own ground yet. So I think it's important to have that self-knowledge too and think about it for yourself. And, yeah. and maybe even over time as you evolve, continue to, to ask those questions to yourself. Yeah, but the questions, we see the, the different guys answer the questions too. And like, whereas um, Michael, the mama's boy, his answers are very satisfactory. He wants, like he's built a career, he wants someone to share it with. Like he has basically qualified himself sort of according to Steve Harvey. But like, for example, Zeke, doesn't give very good answers to the questions. Like uh, he doesn't seem to be a good bet according to that, but Maya still keeps seeing him, which is also interesting. Again, not everybody is playing by all the rules in this book. Yeah. I don't know. The The thing about Maya and Zeke is that at points you kind of feel like it's not going to work out. And somehow they, they still feel they're just too interested in each other to let go. Mm-hmm for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, because he's always saying like, oh, I ha- I've had enough of this, right? But then, you know, he's, and then they were like, oh, but I, are you going to call her? Are you going to text her? And he's like, shut up, you know, and he does it, right? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, yeah so I don't know. It, their, their love story is interesting, I think, because it's like, um, it doesn't align with the book, but they're they are kind of hooked on each other in yeah. some ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that whole yeah. chemistry thing, it'll get you, it'll yeah. get you. Because sometimes, it, like with the book, like the things that they are saying, it does seem come across as being a little sterile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. there, it doesn't leave a lot of room for like ultimately, like like you said, like chemistry. Like chemistry is so huge that a lot of times you you do end up overlooking a lot of things because you do have such a powerful connection with somebody, you know, and you have to account for that. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Um, let's see any more about Candace and Michael. So yeah, they have this really great first date. Um, they're telling their friends about it. And Candace is telling Lauren, like what a gentleman, gentleman he is, like how soulful while Michael is telling the men about what a great ass she has. <laughs> but he also tells about her smile. This reminded me of like the, the scene in Greece, like where the Sandy and Danny are talking about their summer together. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like that whole thing. And then, like, Michael meets Candace's son, and they are doing very well together. They get along great. And Michael asks Candace to meet his mom, which is going to come up very soon. We're going to learn about what happens there. Okay, so we've got these basic relationships set up. Now the relationships start to run into some problems. Jeremy is being bothered by the changes Christian is making and her kind of expectations. Zeke, as we mentioned, is tired of waiting to have sex. Lauren sees Dominic catering at an event where she's speaking mm. and she goes, oh, shit, into mm-hmm. the microphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Taraji P. Henson has like great delivery there, I think. Yeah. And then Candace meets Michael's mom. And I have a clip of this that we will play so we can see just how well that goes. And Candace's, or, sorry, Michael's mom, by the way, is played by Jennifer Lewis, who is just like in all kinds of films. She was in The Preacher's Wife that we covered for Christmas last year as well. Mom? Hey! Ah, there you go. Mom, I would like you to meet Kent. Hi. For Michael, the bomb dropped on Wednesday. I've heard so much about you. Well, I've heard nothing about you. We just talked about her last night at dinner. What are you? Well, I don't remember. I don't remember. It's beautiful, your home. She's gorgeous. It's great. Hmm. Oh, wow, look, look at this. I have this exact same 
frame for my son. Oh, that's right. You're the one with the child. Now, let me ask you, sweetie. What, what does your baby's daddy think about you dating my Michael? Oh. Or is he incarcerated? You know how you people run around. I don't know. Incarcerated? No, why would you... Candace, would you like a tour of the house? Yeah, why don't we give Tandis a tour of the house? Candace. It is Candace. Ta Tandace? It's Candace. Candace. <laughs> Sorry. Her delivery on Tandace. <laughs> yeah. I would run for the hills. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no. And this is like, so we heard in this little clip, we heard her kind of like disdain for like women in Michael's life, but it goes like the mama's boy thing goes way farther. Like we, like we see in the house, there's pictures of them, like this whole huge photo gallery on the wall of them doing everything together, which that one's fine enough. But then we see that the mom has preserved Michael's childhood room, like exactly as it was when he was growing up and that he sleeps over there like every week on Sunday and that she is, in fact, doing his laundry. And then she uses, like, some kind of babel, baby talk, like, rub-a-dub-dub, baby Michael in the tub or something. <laughs> like, in front of this woman. So it's just like, ooh, ooh. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why Candace was like, nope. Like, it would be quite unattractive to find out that a guy was being treated that way by his mom still. I think, for me, the laundry was the... That was the part where I would draw the line. Because I think, like, the photo wall is, you know, sweet, weird, but sweet. Um, you know, and I think a lot of parents actually preserve childhood bedrooms sometimes. That's, like, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah but I think Didn't the fact that he's me. a grown man and he doesn't do his laundry is no. <laughs> it's not a yeah. thing. We have all these relationships sort of established. And now Cedric is having a divorce party. On a bus, so he has rented a bus or like the the strip club called the Ass Factory. <laughs> they keep having these ridiculous strip club names. Like there's the Ass Factory and the Sweaty Crack are the names of these strip clubs, <laughs> which are obviously like exaggerated joke names. Because, right, right, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, they they're on the strip club bus and like headed to like Cedric's party. The men on the strip club bus start talking about their relationships and they start realizing that all the women have been asking them the same questions, like your short-term goals, your long-term goals, etc. But they don't figure out what's going on until the married man, Bennett, talks about how he saw Steve Harvey on Oprah talking about his book. And I love that it's the married man that cracks the case. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he's in touch with women. He's in touch with like what women are talking about. Like Gary Owen's performance there is really funny to me. Like he's just like, oh yeah, I was watching Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they find out about this book and then and then they want to get the book, which apparently is sold out everywhere. But they Michael decides they're gonna go to his mom's house and there's where they find a copy of the book. I found it funny that Kevin Hart started to insinuate that he would sleep with Michael's mom. Yeah. And he was like dancing and he's like, ooh. <laughs> Miss Loretta, I'm ready for the tour. <laughs> yeah. So that was funny. <laughs> I don't know. I think he and Michael's mom might make a good couple. Who knows? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So now we're at the point in our story where the men have access to the book. 
act like a lady, think like a man. And they're going to use the rules in the book to appear to give the women what they want. And this is where kind of the, the games begin. And this is also where our spoiler section is going to begin. So if you have not seen Think Like a Man and you don't want the ending spoiled for you, this is a good place to stop listening to our show for now and come back and join us later. All right, so spoilers begin now. And we're going to begin the spoiler section by playing a little clip where Michael and Jeremy are going to start putting into action their plan to tell the women what they want to hear. I need to get something off my chest. You know what? Before you get something off your chest, I got to get something off my chest. You know, I can be a bit of a mama's boy. I think it really all started when my dad died. It's a rough time for us, you know? And my mom just started relying on me for so many things, too many things. You know, I had to be the man of the house at a really young age, and I guess maybe that's why we're so close. It's my God. And I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. I want you to be the number one woman in my life. It was I like taking a test to. you already had the answers to. You're my priority, Candace. All right? Yeah. Now you said you wanted to talk about something. Did I? The women had no chance. They were like putty in our hands. So, I just updated my resume, sent it off to Neversoft. Really? Mm-hmm. You're serious? I was intrigued by a job posting I saw on Adweek, and I thought, why not go for it, Jeremy? You have nothing else to lose. Baby, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I'm so proud of you. Well, oh, my God. Don't get too excited. Okay, it's just a feeler. Probably won't even call me yet. No, you're selling yourself short. Jeremy, you were, like, the best in your class at Parsons. You're a brilliant designer. No, no, no. You're a brilliant artist. They'd be lucky to have you. I'm lucky to have you. You are. Mm-hmm. You know what I was just thinking? What? Nobody's had sex on this couch yet. What? No, it's a virgin couch. Really? Mm-hmm. What do you think we should do about that? There's about ten things I think we do about that. Only ten. You'll be crying out like a bitch after three. So what I think is interesting about these scenes is when you're watching the movie for the first time, you don't realize that like both Michael and Jeremy are saying one thing and they're going to do another thing. Like you don't know that Jeremy didn't really submit his resume and you don't know that Michael, his big crime is that he has like put his mom on his phone under the um, title of work so that he's going to be able to still, you know, make his mom a priority without um, Candace kind of noticing it. So did you guys feel hopeful? Like, like I did, I felt like, Oh, they're, they're kind of changing. So this is interesting. They think that they're like fooling the women, but that they're really doing something good. Did you, what did you guys think when you first saw that? Um, yeah, like the part with, um, the getting the job, I felt like, yeah, I, in the movie, when I was watching it, I actually thought that like, Oh, well he's getting the job. So that's great. Or he put his resume out there. So, yeah, I thought that was actually happening. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. They have the audience get fooled by these guys as well as, like, the women. I thought that was an interesting approach. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, were you never fooled, Natasha? Uh, I think it's because I figured that something was up, right? Because they had discovered the book, Mm -hmm. you know. Natasha's a wise and canny woman. She is not fooled by their ways. (laughs) 
So Zeke's approach is that he's going to call Maya his girlfriend to a friend he meets on the street, which is the profess part of Steve Harvey's thing about what men will do if they love you. They will profess their love. They will acknowledge you as their woman, etc. And he, he does seem a little bit like pushed into doing that. You know, he doesn't seem to be doing that of his own volition at the time. But then we get Dominic. Dominic is never like having been forced to do anything here. Like Dominic wants Lauren <laughs> from the beginning, but he, he needs to find a way to like provide her something that she can't get from anywhere else. And his only option is really to like use his food and wine knowledge to plan this amazing rooftop date for her. I believe, Natasha, you said this is one of your favorite parts. Yeah, because I think uh, Kevin Hart is the waiter. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think um, I guess I, I guess you know this is something that I kind of like about relationships. I think sometimes you know uh, even if you don't I guess end up with the person, sometimes people can push you to I think do more than you kind of expect from yourself. So mm. I think he was trying to impress her, but he was also doing it for himself. Yeah, and, and actually that brings up that he also, in addition to making this beautiful dinner, he also starts making a business plan to open his own restaurant. So yeah, when you, when it comes to pushing himself, yeah, that is one thing that he does that he wouldn't have done originally. Yeah. I really like the scene too on the rooftop um, because, you know, it isn't always necessarily about like what it is. It's just like the effort put into it is so appealing, I think, mm. in in relationships in general. You know, I appreciate stuff like that, you know, like when I come home and there's like something is done or like something like certain lights are put up or something. And it just it just goes a long way. Effort just goes so such a long way for women, I think, in general. Yeah. And for men, too. Like, honestly, like in yeah. my relationship, I think Lee puts like more effort in quite often. And I'm really trying to like get a little better about that because mm. he is his love language is um you know acts of service and it's not yeah. necessarily mine but like I totally appreciate when he provides these things for me and like you got to try to provide people with what matters to them you know is yeah the yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it doesn't actually take long in the story like the men are sort of stepping up or at least pretending to step up but it actually does not take very long in our story before they are sort of discovered like Zeke is actually doing really well for for a little minute there so Zeke and Maya are together. Maya tells Zeke that her music producer uncle wants to work with him. And in a completely honest and authentic moment, he ends up blurting out, I love you, girl. And he means it, like, clearly. And that, that sort of, like, makes her break the 90-day rule and decide to sleep with him. But the next morning, she's, like, looking through his nightstand. And she finds a copy of um, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. And... She doesn't really give him a ton of time to, like, um, explain himself. Like, I can understand why she's upset, but, like, he, she gives him, like, no time, and then she just runs off. So I, I, this is, of course, something that happens on all rom-coms. But what do you guys think of their uh, little breakup here? Um, did she notice something in the book? Like, I, I could have sworn she saw, like, something about the 90-day Oh, yeah. Like yeah. when she opened it. Yeah, he yeah, had highlighted yeah. a bunch of stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just that he had the book. It was clear that he was looking at working on it. But at the same time, I just feel like I usually would give somebody a minute to explain. I would ruin the plot of every one of these movies. So <laughs> A rational, mature conversation. We can't have that. <laughs> well, anyway, they end up breaking apart. And the next thing we find out is Kristen confronts Jeremy 
and tells him that she knows that he has not applied for the job at Neversoft. I think she breaks up with him pretty much right away too, or is there another step? I can't remember. Yeah, I think she leaves. She's like packed up. Yeah. I think this one hit me the most. Oh I yeah, think. okay. Yeah, this one was the, like the saddest moment. I think she spent like nine years with him and he's like still playing games. So that was like really hurtful, I think. Um, especially because like she never meant anything malicious by asking him to like try out for the job. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then we have Candace discovering that Michael has still been um, catering too much to his mother. She sees that his phone is ringing and it says work and she answers it. And lo and behold, it is Michael's mom on the other line. And there's also a sort of uh, problem where she wants him to come to her family reunion, but he thinks that he ought to attend his mother's church anniversary. And yeah, it's, it's kind of like, who is he going to put first, basically mom or his girlfriend? This one was sad to me, too, because like he and Duke particularly are getting along so well, just even in the scene where this happens, they're playing basketball together and you've seen him help him learn to ride a bike. And so I'm kind of like, I feel sad for Duke, you know, because it, this will be hard for him, too. Finally, we have Lauren. Lauren uh, runs into this uh, very successful ex-boyfriend who she had mentioned earlier in the movie and finds out that he has just gotten divorced and he's moving back to L.A., we see him kind of approach with his like fancy car. His car compared to Dominic's car is like shown in that exact scene where Dominic's driving this like beater, this terrible car. And um, <laughs> then we see this like smooth guy pull up. Right. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, she just kind of has a little meeting with Dominic where she's like, my friend really likes your business plan. You should like talk with him. Like he wants to invest. Um, but I'm, I've got a date tonight. I can't see you. I think we should take a break. Uh, how do you guys feel about um, her choice here? I can you can kind of understand in in a way like I don't know like I think I've said before that like money can finances success like that stuff can be important in a relationship you know mm-hmm. especially when you've decided like what kind of lifestyle you you want to have you know. I mean, everyone kind of just like, oh, well, you know, you should love someone even if they're not successful or not rich. But I just I just don't think that that's the reality. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, actually, I agree. (laughs) I think financial uh, compatibility is so important. It doesn't mean that we have to be the exact same, right? But I think you have to be kind of okay with where the person is in their life. And I think be very conscious of, you know, where the future is headed. You know, because, I mean, sometimes, you know, like, I mean, if you've been working for a while and you want to, like, take a break, right? Mm-hmm. You want to take a break or you want to go and study. Like, you know, you would need your spouse, I guess, or your partner to support you in some way. Yeah, so I, I can kind of understand Lauren, especially because she's such a successful woman, right? And do, do we have to, like, settle? Do we, Does this mean that, you know, because I'm successful that I can't expect that in, in return? Yeah, see, for for me, I get the impression, like, so I understand, like, if it's a situation where you need to have a partner who, like, is able to contribute financially because maybe you're not at a place where you're kind of bulletproof. But I get the impression from, like, Lauren that she is, like, at a place financially where she would be good to go pretty much for the rest of her life, like, and she could even afford to support someone. And when a guy does that, when a guy marries someone and then, like, they live at home, they stay at home, they're housewife, whatever – People don't think, oh, like, what is he doing? That's a foolish idea, right? It's really just more the 
like this expectation that men support women, but women don't support men, you know, like that we have in our society. And I feel like with even with her too, even with Lauren, it's more like a status thing. Like the thing, the inciting event that makes her like really upset is that another woman kind of looks at her sadly when Dominic drives off in his like bad car, right? Like, (laughs) so it feels like it's more like like an expectation that she has that she should be taken care of, um, that that looks better or that that she should be with a guy who like drives the right car, uh, looks the right way. So, yeah, I don't know if we're meant to think that she has like a, a material concern for like, you know, yeah. are we going to well, there, not, not to interrupt you, but I, I feel like there at times like there was like kind of like a mantra that I had to like get myself out of. Um, and I, I see it similar here is that like a lot of times I would always say that I wanted a partner and not a project mm. and that I would get into relationships with guys that I saw so much potential in. You know, they had the dreams and whatnot. And then, yeah, it just ended up turning into a project okay. for me. Whereas where I re- what I really wanted was an equal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I kind of see that here is where she's kind of deciding, like, who's my equal? Am I just like, you know, this guy is basically a project. You know, she's she's trying to get him the deals. She's trying to get him um, the opportunities. Yeah. So that can be stifling. But then when he does actually step up, so like maybe that puts him in a place where, yeah, where he does his own thing, which by the way, guys in movies, like people in movies always just open food trucks. They're totally broke. They can't afford a decent car, but somehow they've afforded a food truck to get it outfitted. And you know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure he could have gotten yeah. this investment opportunity yeah. from her friend or whatever or something or a loan, but like, yeah, but it always makes it look so easy in a movie. Like if you're down on your luck, get a food truck. Yeah, not like food trucks still don't cost like $40,000 to get like outfitted with all that equipment, you know? Like, oh. He did He did mention that he took a loan, right? I think. Oh, okay. I, I yeah, think he so. did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't take it from her friend. And, like, he, yeah. yeah. Yes. And it's not like it's that easy to get a loan either for that matter. <laughs> like, but yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a movie solution that we often see. Yeah. Like a, yeah. 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 After everybody breaks up, we have this kind of sad montage of people looking grumpy. Then we have the men, they're convening at the bar. The men are like ostensibly there, like celebrating how good it is to be single. Like they're so happy that they're they're single. Jeremy has gotten the job. Kristen encouraged him to apply for. So they're also celebrating that. And they're just like, you know, trying to kind of pump each other up. But then the kind of bubble bursts. Bennett has to go home. The married man has to go home because it's his turn to cook. The men make fun of him, but he says, I'm not cooking because I have to. I'm cooking because I want to. That's my wife. And after he says that, and Kevin Hart kind of starts like going inside his mind and like kind of talking about how he used to cook for Gail. The other guys are still oblivious to him. But then he sneaks off to the bathroom to call Gail. And when Kevin Hart comes back from the bathroom after like deciding he's going home to her, all the men realize they want their women back. So I particularly thought it was kind of funny. Kevin Hart's called the Gale. Did you guys enjoy anything about this scene or anything around this part of the movie? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was definitely one of the more like comedic because, you know, because Gale has always been this sort of like entity that you don't actually see, you know, and then mm-hmm. you finally get to see her and like their dynamic. And <laughs> it, it's like a good it's a good uh, a good moment. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It's always fun to like just let Kevin Hart just riff <laughs> and just do his thing, right? Yeah. And just like be funny. Yeah. So I, yeah, it was, it was enjoyable. Yeah, he's like, I'm out here. I'm out here in these streets with all these men. <laughs> you got. He's like, he's like, I'm at the strip club at ten o'clock. They know my name. <laughs> I kind of wish I'd clipped it. It's a really good scene. Was Gail like what you expected her to be like at all? As in Wendy Williams. Yeah, I didn't know what I expected. Yeah. I mean, Did was you funny. expect something? Yeah. I don't I The think, review was funny. Yeah, I think what what was funny about it was how like sweet to him she was once he like said he wanted to come home. Like that was like that, that was the part of the reveal that seemed a little bit unexpected. Like yeah, the way uh, the way Cedric's been talking about her, you'd think she was just like this terrible woman who's yelling at him all the time and like possibly beating him up all the time, which is like kind of an <laughs> odd um which is always an odd fit for me for humor in a movie, right? Like, but she she ends up being really sweet when he like she says, "Come, come on home, Big Daddy," or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's quite nice. <laughs> and she's like standing around, I think, like in a negligee, even just like she's she's waiting <laughs> to like to welcome him back. <laughs> anyway, that that whole scene was kind of funny. I thought I do like also in the scene that they ha- specifically have Bennett, the married man specifically say that he wants to cook he wants to go home to his wife because i think treating always marriage like it's like this thing to be avoided is you know there's a reason people get married and men can enjoy it too so i like that i like there's also um in one of the next scenes we're gonna see when um jeremy goes to find Kristen at a house she's about to sell to um tell her he got the job and then propose to her there's another example of a man you know, with his wife going to buy this house that he, we've seen this man and his wife several times in the movie already, but they're ready to buy the house and his wife is pregnant. And he, when Jeremy proposes to um, Kristen, the man's like, he's being very encouraging about the idea of this other man rising to the occasion and getting married. So I like that. I like that portrayal of like men who are happily married too. So as we said, um, Jeremy go- does go and get find Kristen at the house and proposes to her. And she says, yes, and then Michael tells his mom that he's going to go to Candace's family reunion instead of the church anniversary. But he does this by going over to her house in the morning and she's acting a little strange. And then we find out why the deacon of the church comes downstairs with, I think like part of a fuzzy handcuff on his hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's yelling at him to go back upstairs. And so we get the joke of this mother who seems very proper. Like she has a secret life. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Jennifer Lewis did a good job there. Yeah, spicy yeah, stuff. I, <laughs> and I think it also kind of showed, too, that, like, she's starting to have a life as well. You know what I mean? That they don't have to be so dependent on each other, mm-hmm. is that she can go off and have relationships. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, like, I think sometimes that can and does happen, you know, with child-parent relationships. They do become a little codependent, you know, and sometimes parents need to move on you know they can't they shouldn't be as dependent on children sometimes for certain things yeah that i think that's what that scene was showing you know yeah that's a good point yeah because it can really go the opposite way too where like uh, a guy might put his mom first and then like fail to get good relationships but a mom might put her kids first and fail to like expand her world in some way so yeah so then after um, Michael goes over to his mom's house, he then does go to Candace's uh, family reunion, which is already in progress. And 
he finds Candace first of all and says like I'm here for you like you're my number one priority and she still looks a little doubtful so then he makes this like giant announcement to the whole reunion that he loves this woman and she's his number one priority even though I'm an extrovert I wouldn't love that personally and I know my husband would hate that <laughs> Uh, how would you feel if some a new partner kind of came to your reunion and kind of yelled at everybody that they were with you? I think this is why I struggle with the, um, you know, in rom-coms, there's always like the public announcement mm-hmm. of affection or love. And I kind of hate it when it's like in public and in such a like exuberant way. Like, uh, I think I just feel like secondhand embarrassment. I cringe at those like, big um public proposals i really mm. do like you know when someone's like at a football stadium or something and they're like projected on the jumbotron like i i would actually hate that and anybody who would be with me would know that that's not so i guess some people do like that some people want that sort of public attention yeah. but ugh, no way i mean even and, and i know this is like on a much smaller scale like in front of her family but no i'm not <laughs> that's not that's not for me yeah and, and Candace is portrayed as liking it because, like, I guess we see this contrasted with a scene where the women in her family are just saying, oh, why are you still single? And, like, one of them's insinuating that she might want to start seeing women because she hasn't been seeing men. And, like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, so I guess, like, for her, it feels like, look, I do have a guy. Like, you can stop bothering me now or something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a rom-com scene. There you go. It's one of those scenes you have in a rom-com. And then um, Zeke and Maya get reunited when Zeke happens to be at an open mic that Maya, I guess, regularly attends. And he's starting to play and sing his song that she knows about. And I don't know if he knew she was going to be there, but he then dedicates it to her. But she like immediately runs out of the place and then he chases her down. And I think it was a pretty improbable meeting on some level, but... But I do like the scene where then he tells her that he would start the 90 days all over again if necessary, because he's in love with her. And I thought that was great. Like the way of just putting it like, listen, like I will go on your 90 day rule again. Like this is my way of proving to you how serious I am. I think those characters do have a really sweet chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you can really, it, it feels very genuine you know, when they're talking to each other and you can really see like their evolution as well, like in the story. So I find this, like, I find it very believable. I find them very believable. And yeah, it is a really sweet sentiment that it's not just about sex to him. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is an an important kind of step in a lot of relationships, uh, especially ones that do start out kind of physical even though theirs didn't but you know what i mean like just to be like even if that was taken off the table i still want to be with you yeah you know you know okay here's the thing though i now that i remember i remember reading in this book act like a lady think like a man steve harvey at one point say it says that you can go about 30 days without having sex with a man in your relationship or he's going to start looking for it from somewhere else so how does that coincide with the 90 day rule mr steve harvey yeah, no, I think you should write him and, and ask <laughs> what what did he mean by these two contradicting time frames? It's like once you've given the sex, then you have to keep giving the sex, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Like it's hmm, I'm not sure here. Because there will be times when it's your- like Oh, go ahead. I thought it's like once you've established the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're still in the process of courtship, mm-hmm. then I guess it doesn't count. 
I guess. But like there'll be times <laughs> in a relationship, like maybe you're pregnant or you're getting over a pregnancy or you are sick, like seriously ill, like when you're not gonna be able to have sex either. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe he's he's evolved in his thinking since then. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see when I write Steve Harvey. No. <laughs> so we have, yeah, Zeke and Maya get back together. And then Lauren, of course, had broken up with Dominic. And now we see her on this date with James. And we all, you all had mentioned before that on this date with James, he's just like talking about his own success. He's not interested in her. And so she just leaves that date. She's like, she, she kind of points out to him that he's not asking her any questions. And then she leaves. And she knows that Dominic's food truck is opening that evening. So she kind of books it over to Dominic's food truck and goes up to the window and tries to like get him back while he's in the middle of work, which another rom-com thing that I don't think is a great idea, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And then when he kind of rejects her and says, I'm busy working right now, she like barges right into the food truck. And we have a clip of that that I will play. Dominic. Doing. I want you back, Dominic. Guys, just give me a minute. I know. What are you doing? I want you back. Yeah, I, I listen. I'm not an acquisition. You can't just decide. I'm asking. Oh yeah, and I'm asking for some service. You get your pork sausage, Porky. Beat it. Lauren, listen. We're just too different. Okay. Yes. We are different, but I think that's a good thing. What you need is status. You need no, title. I, I, don't. I don't care about. No, oh, no, no. What I need is a man who makes me feel like I'm special. I don't care about his title, and I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I just, I need you, please. I'm sorry. I think ultimately we want different things. No. I disagree. I think we want the exact same thing. What's that? Well, first, I would like to have my chef special hold pork. Baby, tonight, the night. Okay. I just like the third time I was watching this, I was like, when she said, I would like to have my chef special hold the pork. Is she insinuating that she wants to hold his junk or something? Hold his penis? Like what's going on there? <laughs> I don't really, I didn't really get that either. I was like, so she doesn't eat pork. Is that what this is? Insinu like, I, don't, I did not understand that line whatsoever. I think you're right. Basically, <laughs> hold the pork because basically he's got the meat. Right. <laughs> yeah because like also like we want the same thing and then she gets all sexy like right and she gets all sexy voiced and then she's kind of moving in closer and i feel like her hand was moving downward suggestively too like when i watched it so i feel like there's a attempt at a weird sexual innuendo there like maybe they have an inside joke about that i don't know anyway because <laughs> isn't usually when you're like when you're when you say hold something it means yeah. you don't want yeah it. yeah yeah exactly that, that's but why i was confused it's a, but it's a double meaning serena Oh, right. Potentially. Right. Potentially. I'm oh, just thinking ahead. about all the health code violations. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he washes his hands right. after right? that. Yeah. Poor people. And oh, wait, my God. And way to be rude to, her, to his customers on his first day. I yeah. know. 
Yeah, that was really too much for me. I was like, barging into his food truck is kind of invasive enough, but like yelling at a customer, I'm like, um, I don't think that would endear someone to me if they did that at my workplace. <laughs> yep. But she's so funny though, Thraji P. Henson. She's hilarious. I just laugh whenever she like yells like that. She's so funny. <laughs> yeah, she gets, she like for an audience, for a movie audience, she gets a pass because she's funny, she's char- charismatic, etc. Like just like when I translate this to real life actions, I'm like, don't do that. Don't, don't. Just, yeah, <laughs> find a better venue. <laughs> yeah, any other thoughts about this scene? Um or the conclusion of the movie, because we're now at kind of the end of the movie, because we see all the other couples are outside the food truck, kind of being happy together. And then they celebrate when they see that Dominic and Lauren have kissed each other. Um, any thoughts about this ending in general? I don't know. Do you guys feel like it shouldn't have been at the food truck? Hmm. I mean, I, I agree that she should have been the one to make the overture because she was the one who pushed him away. But... I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like um, it's kind of annoying. I think I would be super annoyed if I was the one working and you know, yeah, this person was like pestering me to like forgive them and take them back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, and it also kind of shows that like maybe she's not taking his job as seriously mm. as something else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's sort of like, oh, I can just walk right in here. Like it's not like he would ever walk in on like her board meeting or something you know right um, yeah yeah I, I guess the only reason we can excuse this is like economy of story like it's a way to get everybody yeah. together at the same venue and it's also a way at the same time to show that dominic is now successful but but you could have also just had it be at the end of the night when his food truck's winding down of course then everybody might be gone so i don't know it's economy of story i guess and like also because in rom-coms people are always doing inappropriate things <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay, so and oh, we also then see Gail kind of Yeah, I'm really kind of uncomfortable with the way that like they make her sort of beating Cedric up or like whooping his ass, whatever you want to call it, make it cute or whatever. I don't like how they make that a comic point. Like I know maybe I'm being too serious about it, but like there are dudes who get beat up by their partners and it sucks and like it's I don't love that that's the funny thing about his relationship with Wendy Williams with Gail, you know? I are, thoughts on that or like am I being too serious? Maybe I am. I don't know. Is that what they're portraying that she like beats up on him? I don't know. Maybe he likes it. I don't know. Maybe he likes that <laughs> dynamic. I'm I don't I don't know, you know? Like <laughs> I mean they are they are into some freaky stuff, like uh but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like yeah, I don't know. I was I don't know, I always feel that um they play out Kevin Hart being this, like, short mm, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah. the women that he's paired with is always taller than him and <laughs> has more power than him. Yeah. And we're yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, he so it's is, always a like, common thing. He is very short, even even for women. So it, it would make sense that he would be with someone taller than him. Yeah. I think, what is yeah. he, like, five yeah. foot two or something? Yeah. Right? Yeah, but they do, they always do have a maximum contrast with him, though. Yeah, like when, yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, it is what it is. That's like, that's how the relationship is portrayed. Okay, mm-hmm. so my random notes. First of all, I, I noted down that the relationships in the movie are frequently compared to war. There's even like at one point in the movie, there's like this mini montage of turning points in various wars where they show like pictures of the Civil War and then like old documentary footage of World War II. And I thought that's such an odd 
I mean, like, we always do talk about like the battle of the sexes or something, or love is a battlefield, which I believe actually Maya even quotes in this movie. I just never really think of relationships like that. Is this like a conception that is relatable to either of you? Like this idea of relationships or marriage is a war? No, not not me personally. But I, I do I do think some people do. I mean, obviously it has to be because it is it is phrased in that way so much, you know? So mm-hmm. obviously that that is a, a thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, this might be an interesting tidbit, but, you know, basically, uh, currently I teach, like, Renaissance poetry. Mm. And, um, you know, the poets actually use, like, the space of war to talk about love oh. quite frequently, actually. Yeah, so they use it as, like, a conceit. I guess because I think the, the perspective is always that, you know, men and women come at relationships from, like, opposite sides. Yeah. And I guess that's why they look at it as war we want certain things, they want certain things, you know, who's going to give in, you know, who, you know, is it going to be a compromise? Is it going to be like someone wins? Mm. You know, so I guess that's why they kind of look at it like that. Yeah. That's interesting. So I'm glad that you're bringing a Renaissance poetry perspective to this. Like maybe things have been always thus or something. Out of curiosity, uh, which poets, like pretty much all of them, or are there a couple that do this a lot or? There's this guy that I'm teaching now called Andrew Marvell. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, in this poem called The Fair Singer, he basically talks about, you know, the persona basically talks about this woman who has this, like, weapons, which is her beauty and her, you know, her amazing voice, right? And basically the idea here is that she, because she has these qualities, she has, like, dominance over him. And she, like, is this enemy wow. that, uh, you know, dominates him in the end and, you know, he loses. and uh, His resistance is futile. yeah. Wow. So, I don't know, yeah. I guess because the English Civil War was going on at that point. So, yeah. yeah, so they were writing, you know, I guess it was relatable in some sense. Man, this rhetoric about women having power because of their beauty has not changed then in hundreds of years. Because, like, I just watched the Chris Rock Netflix special, like, last <gasps> night. And he's talking about the same thing, like, women have the power. Like, but he's specifically saying beautiful women then. But, like, he, it's not connecting in his head that that doesn't mean all women have the power. Or, I don't know. I have a lot of critiques about that particular notion, too. Because, like, uh, women are also subject to sexual assault, etc. So I don't really think it's true. But it seems to be that something that... That men have found to be true i guess for hundreds of years <laughs> yeah but i mean that is interesting but ultimately like we're not men so it's like i actually don't have much of an idea of what really what's really going on in men's heads you know mm. except for i guess these these movies that try to portray it or these books yeah. you know yeah all right so there's one more note i wanted to add um i just wanted to say that like there is some degree of homophobia in this movie which i did notice like The men accuse each other of being gay at various times for playing the violin, watching Oprah, or hanging out with their mother. Like, it doesn't use, like, homophobic slurs, but it's, like, just, like, one of those things where it's, like, not a positive to be called gay. You know, like, the men are still kind of ribbing each other for, like, lacking, like, you know, heterosexual masculinity or something. And then, weirdly, like, again, at the family reunion, some of the relatives are suggesting that Candace maybe wants to try dating women because she hasn't seen a man in a while. And I don't think that one is being viewed as a negative as much, but, like, at the same time, it's saying, like, that's the only reason you could be single as a woman is you must be, like, actually a lesbian. Like, and, yeah. I don't know. So it was kind of, you know, this movie didn't make me feel, like, offended, but then again, you know, I'm not you know, a gay man. And I think as a gay man, you might find parts of this movie a bit alienating. So. 
Yeah, I mean, generally, the like the movies in the two thousands, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just generally a little bit dated in the way they view things like gender and sexuality. Mm. Although, like, it's better in twenty twelve, like, than it was in like the eighties when you would be using the F slur for gay men quite regularly, or just like not for gay men, you just use it as a slur for each other, like in like something like Bill and Ted's even. So yeah, so mm. it's a slow evolution. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to do our double feature recommendations now. My first double feature recommendation is pretty predictable. I recommend that people should watch Think Like a Man 2, the sequel, which came out in 2014. And I don't think it's as good as the first movie, but you do get to see these characters, kind of their relationships evolve a little bit, how they've grown over time. Um, It's mostly focused on the preparations for Candace and Michael's wedding in Vegas, and you get to see a little bit more of Miss Loretta, the mother, the mother, and her trying to sort of still have an upper hand in terms of the power dynamic. And try, she kind of ends up sort of almost trying to derail the bachelorette proceedings and so forth. And they're, bas- they're basically in Vegas having bachelorette and bachelor parties right before a wedding, which I don't think is a great idea. But it sets up, you know, a lot of possible problems that can develop with the wedding. So... I I think they made good use of like the Vegas location to some degree. And I think there was a lot of good comedy. It wasn't really as romantic as the first movie and like not all the comedy paid off, but you will have a fun time watching this movie. I think as long as you're not expecting it to be like a masterpiece or anything. And my next double feature. Okay. So the funny thing is I also don't like hundred percent love this movie, but it does have three of the actors from think like a man. It's got Kevin Hart and Regina Hall who are in a relationship with each other in this movie. It's got Michael Ely. He's starting a relationship with another woman who I should have written her name down. I didn't write the actress down. Sorry. But basically this is a remake of a 1980s movie. And it's about these, these two friends and then the relationships they begin with these two women and how they kind of evolve over time. And it's interesting because you kind of go back and forth with one couple being in good shape and then the other couple's in bad shape, but then they switch places. I thought it was an interesting rom-com. Not really. It's more like a rom drama. I thought it was an interesting romantic movie. It was in some ways more of a drama at times, but there is a lot of comedy brought in by Regina Hall and Kevin Hart and the kind of way they interplay with each other in the movie. So I think it would make a good companion piece to think like a man, just if you like to see these actors again. So yeah, and that's also a 2014 movie. So 2014's about last night. And then like, I'm just going to like blurt out some honorable mentions. I'm not going to tell any details about it, but some other movies like that I would recommend that have some cast members. You can't really go wrong with Girls Trip. It's a lot of fun. Um, Support the Girls with Regina Hall is one I watched for the preparing for this movie. It's more of a serious movie and you really get to see her acting chops in that. The Perfect Match has Terrence J or Terrence Jenkins in it. And that's a kind of sexy romantic comedy. It has a lot of um, more sexual content in it. So if you like a rom-com that has some heat, um, you might enjoy The Perfect Match. And so those are a few more that I just wanted to throw out there. All right. So I picked Hitch that came out in 2005. I'm sure a lot of people have already seen it. It was a pretty popular movie, I think. Uh, It's Will Smith and Kevin James. Basically, Will Smith is a dating coach trying to help out Kevin James and then their various relationships. I picked it because it, to me, this is a, yeah, it's a romantic comedy, but it has a more of a male voice, which mm. is what I feel like think like a man kind of had 
a majority of a male voice. I feel like it was being narrated by a man, etc. So that's what I was kind of like looking for. And then my second choice was How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which came out mm. in 2003. Uh, Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey. Again, kind of these like games in relationships sort of concept is is what I thought of in this where Matthew McConaughey's character, I think his name is Ben, is trying to prove that he can make any girl fall in love with him. I think there's some sort of like um, engagement ring or like diamond. He's like an ad, uh, an advertiser or something. So he's trying to prove yeah. that like he can. Um, there's a set set things you can do to make any woman fall in love with you and then on the on the contrast side of that um kate hudson's character is trying to write a magazine article saying that there's certain things you can do to make a man fall out of love with you <laughs> yeah so yeah. um you know that's pretty uh comedic but also pretty schemey you know like uh, <laughs> yeah. the same way with like how this book is you know i kind of felt like everyone was sort of scheming to like get what they wanted but then you know ultimately you know love wins out that's the that's the theme right so that came out in 2003 and then yeah. well, um oh, oh sorry i wanted to add so i wanted to add about oh, that sure. one I, I almost considered having how to lose a guy in 10 days in this series um kind of like a reverse oh. self-help book in a way if you will and i guess it was yeah. based on a book which i didn't realize it was based on kind of a comedic book not really a self-help book so yeah it would have been a good fit oh, yeah, but- i read that i read that too yeah that it was like a it didn't really have a narrative. It was like more of like a picture book, yeah. you know, kind of like those books that they would sell at like urban outfitters or something yeah. like a, <laughs> that didn't have like much substance, but just had pictures and kind of like funny writing. Exactly. Yeah, I read that too. And then I picked 2009's He's Just Not That Into You, which we just did for the podcast. Obviously it has similar, <laughs> similar <laughs> things based on a book around the same time. Um, multicast. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're definitely, you can definitely see like this movie was riding on the coattails of that movie and that concept. So those are my choices. And then Natasha, like, what are your double features? Like, uh, I'm curious. Oh, okay. Since you're curious. Okay. So, uh, I chose the best man, which I think I chose because it's also an ensemble uh, type of movie. So you have, um, Diggs, you have Maurice Chestnut, um, who played, you know, um Lauren's rich, successful oh, yeah. ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Um, there's Nia Long, um, Regina Hall as well. And basically the premise of it is that um, you know, they are all gathering for uh he's gathering for a wedding, and this guy is basically the best man. But the problem is is that he has written a book, and in the book he actually like kind of exposes himself as having slept with um his best friend's uh current like fiance. So it's like super messy. Yeah, and I and I think it's it's um very enjoyable. So I think if you like this kind of ensemble movies, yeah, uh, you know, the black cast, I think, you know, it's 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 really well cast and they're all talented. Okay, so I think the sequel works as well. So the sequel is The Best Man Holiday. But I think The Best Man Holiday is a little bit more somber mm-hmm. because uh, they're all gathering for like a different purpose. So um, like in the first one, they're all gathering for 
a wedding. So it's like a joyous occasion and yeah. basically, you know, all of them haven't met since like college, you know, so there's like various levels of connection, right? So it's like, you know, when just reconnecting with your friends from university and, you know, so there's got that kind of idea. Whereas the sequel, they're connecting because of um like a friend is sick. Mm. So it's like a, it's like the inverse, you know, yeah. it's like tragedy is connecting them. So it's very interesting, I think, as a, you know, has a pair, right? And coming together. I think the best man holiday is I I do like it better. Okay. Because I think uh the themes just kind of hit a little bit closer to home. And interestingly, there was there's also like a TV series called um yeah. on Peacock. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the best man final chapters. Yeah, which um yeah, I haven't watched that yet, so I don't know if it's good or not, but I think um the cast will bring something to the table. And lastly, I think I chose Friends with Benefits because it has the same writers as Think Like a Man. Yeah. Uh, and I think the humor is quite similar in that sense. There's also very much this idea of, you know, um, women, how, how women look at relationships, how men look at relationships, you know. And yeah, I like it. There's a lot of comedy, but there's also like a lot of heat and romance. Yeah. So I thought that it would be a good option. Yeah, it is the winner in the the No Strings Attached uh, versus Friends with Benefits uh, war. Uh, Friends with Benefits for me definitely comes out on top. I feel like it's better written. And, <laughs> and I feel like Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake just have way better chemistry than like Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman did. Like, that's where I come down. I agree. Well, Serena, what do you think? <laughs> What's your no, opinion? I agree too. Yeah, I agree too that if, if there is such a thing as a war, is there a war between the two? <laughs> um, but I guess it is just ironic because uh, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher made the same movie <laughs> yeah. at the same time. But with different people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like the joke. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis are, were way, way hotter and were may- way more like kind of believable. Yeah. I don't know. Natalie Portman doesn't always come across. I don't know. She kind of she's just kind of bland oh, a lot of times oh. i know i know well, i like her don't get me wrong but like i don't know i especially she, with like comedy stuff she had like, better oh chemistry God. with mila kunis in black swan than she did with ashton Kutcher. <laughs> yeah. that's all i'm gonna say for sure for sure yeah oh man but um wasn't there that joke about um recently because ashton kutcher was in a rom-com Oh god! Oh, it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did you see it? Yeah, it just came out. Oh, it was not good. It was not good. Yeah. I was upset about yeah. it because, like, I mean, these people know rom coms, right? Like, they are basically royalty, and I'm just like, how can they cheat us like this? Yeah, it's it's Very been sad. it's been a grim situation vis a vis rom coms lately, in my opinion. We can chat more about that, like, on a different show or after the show because. We have we've had we've given you a long show today. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed talking with both of you today. And Natasha, can you remind people where people can go to find your work so they can like hear more of your opinions and so forth? You guys can find me on culturedvouchers.com. Um, I'm the film editor there. So I write lots of the film stuff, film reviews, opinions, uh, lists. Uh, we also have tons of other content, like things related to wrestling, games, TV, books. If you want to like kind of follow me on Twitter, um, you can follow me at Lit My Soul. Yeah, so it's a fun time. So, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is a fun time. Yeah, and like, yeah, Natasha's a great person. Fantastic to have you on today. 
and we'll every rom-com soon will be starting we're finishing our self-help series every rom-com is finishing our self-help series and now we're going to be starting our musicals series we're going to start with some older musicals like top hat and on the town then we're eventually going to move into some newer musicals like mama mia and in the heights so we're going to run a whole gamut of musicals for you coming up soon and yeah always feel free to send us feedback at feedback at every and i hope you've enjoyed the show today so thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.